0: Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I'm very excited to bring you this one because this is a a football Friday edition of the show. We've got a lot of football to cover today, and there's no guest. There is no guest today. That's not me trying to lead into somebody being here. This is the first show we've had on a Saturday or a Friday where we haven't had a had a guest on it. I'm sitting in my living room. I'm sitting in the exact spot where Brady and I recorded the last two Friday episodes of Logan Blackman Show. And to my knowledge, anyways, I am completely by myself in my house, so that that's a good thing. I tried to record a video last night for the first time in the house at night, but it, it, I'm sorry, it's just weird recording in a an older house at night. Every ache and creak just freaked me out, and I ended up not being able to record anything when I was <laughs> when I ended up trying to record our week two quarterback prospect ranking. So we're going to talk about the prospect rankings here. We're going to post them on the YouTube channel as well, so make sure to go check them out there. And you can also, of course, check out the Logan Show.com to go view the blog post, which I would greatly appreciate you doing that. And as well as that, make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find me on Twitter or X at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is theloganblackmanshow one. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel and check out a few videos while you're there as well. And right now, I am on uh, watching the Minnesota Vikings versus the Philadelphia Eagles game and I can neither confirm nor deny how I'm watching this game, but it's not really working right now. It's not really working, which is not the most ideal situation I've ever come across in my entire life. So I don't know how much we're actually going to be able to watch of this game. Not that I really care too much about what happens here. Oh, it's working. Okay. Like, it's it's just a nothing game to me. To be 100% honest, with. it's two NFC teams. Two NFC teams I don't necessarily give to rat's ass about. But, you know, it's it should be a good game. I'm just hoping it's better than last year's game that we had week two where the Vikings took on the Philadelphia Eagles. And you guessed it, Philadelphia. And you guessed it, at night, though last year's was a Monday night game. Because remember, that was the same night as the Bills' absolute demolition of, of the Tennessee Titans. Like, and I sat there week two last year. So let's, let's go to Tuesday of last year. So after that second game, because again, it was on a Monday, that Bills season, that Bills team, I thought were going to be unstoppable. I thought they were unbeaten. I thought I thought nothing would stand in the way of them, maybe even going undefeated, but winning a Super Bowl. But I remember sitting in the car with my dad before that next game, which against Miami Dolphins, was, of course, their first loss of the season. We're sitting there with my dad, and I'm like, man, I, do- I- you don't want a thing like this. You don't want to, but man, where, where do they lose? We just saw them, and at the time, we didn't know those two teams were just complete garbage, but you sit there going like, man, they just absolutely clobbered the former number one seed in the AFC and the Tennessee Titans and the reigning Super Bowl champions on Banner Night, and I don't remember what happened the season before, but that's back-to-back years at least that I can think of where Banner Night's been spoiled by the visiting team. The visiting team had a lot of hype going into the season. Now, the Lions have not received anywhere near the amount of hype the Buffalo Bills did last year at this time. But, hey, people were still expecting the Detroit Lions to be a decent team this year. At least, like, some people are even out there saying they could go out and win the NFC North. And I know it's week one. I know they just beat the Kansas City Chiefs, which seemed like an insurmountable task a week before the game. And then we started finding out, you know, about the, the Kelsey injury, the Chris Jones holdout when the Lions are a run-first team. We're going to interest to see how that would affect the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. And ultimately, the Lions came out on top. But man, the Lions looked good. The Lions looked good. And I, I don't know if I'd sit here right now and say, oh my God, the Detroit Lions are Super Bowl contenders. I don't know if I'm ready to say that. I don't even know if I'm completely ready to say that they're a playoff team yet. I know that sounds crazy after seeing what they did to the Kansas City Chiefs. And they looked good. I will not take anything away from them in that performance. But man, I don't know. I don't know. It's the Detroit Lions. Remember, I'm not saying this will happen. But remember a couple years ago, the Jacksonville Jaguars won one game when they drafted Trevor Lawrence, number one overall. You want to know what that one game was? That was their week one matchup against the Indianapolis Colts. So the rest of the season, they did not get a single win. So one of these teams that won this week, or most of these teams, half the teams that won this week probably won't make the playoffs. Because I'm sorry for all these were that were ready for the downfalls of these teams. The Bills, Bengals, and Chiefs are all making the playoffs this year. I might that might have jinxed everybody. I'll make sure to knock on some wood here as we do right there. But come on, like I know they all looked pretty bad. I mean, the Chiefs looked better than the Bills and Bengals did, but still, they're zero one right now. They're going to make the playoffs. I expect the Chargers to bounce back from their game this weekend, and they only they put up thirty plus points, and they lost because the team they played put 30, points, 30, thirty plus points up as well. I think the Steelers will be a better team as the season progresses. I, I don't think that they will be as bad as what they looked week one. Maybe they won't look as good as what I originally predicted them to be, but you know what? Things can change after a week. They played the San Francisco 49ers, who are, one, who are my NFC representative in the Super Bowl. Like, this is a good 49ers team. The big question going into the season for the 49ers was what version of Brock Purdy would we get? And as it turns out, we're going to get the same one at least week one. And that's a good Steelers defense. They, they now they are going to be without Cameron Hayward for a little bit, which will hurt. But hey, that's a good Steelers defense, and Brock Purdy looked really good in that game. He looked even better in the press conference this week, wearing an Iowa helmet, <laughs> the Herky the Hawk helmet, going to the press box press conference because he made a bet with George Kittle. Obviously, Iowa tight end Brock Purdy, for those are you underwear, obviously went to Iowa State. It's just, it's just really cool as a as an Iowan to have two people from the state of Iowa both from Iowa and Iowa State, playing for one of the best teams in the NFL. And to a lot of people out there, the best team currently in the NFL. Now, this could definitely change tonight if the Philadelphia Eagles win, and then by default, they will be the best team in the NFL because they'll be the only team with a 2-0 record. And the Vikings, by default, will be the worst team in the NFL because they'll be the only team with a 0-2 record. And that's another team that I don't think will be that bad the rest of the season. That's the Vikings. I don't think the Vikings will be as bad as what, People, some people before the season were saying that like the drop off was there. We knew they were going to finish thirteen and four again. We knew that wasn't going to happen, but they did make some improvements. It's just they started off a little bit slower. I think they might have taken it easy on the bu- or not easy. That's not the right word there. They might have l- overlooked the Bucks because to a lot of people out there, including myself, this is not a good team. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got good players on defense, but that offense, apart from your two wide receivers and Tristan Wirfs, is not really anything that special. Throw line, apart from Tristan Wirfs, is not good, especially with Ryan Jensen being out for the year. I like Rashad White. Can he be able to be the main guy in a running attack? Who knows? Like, it's interesting to see how this will all take place for these teams this year, but, man, week one's fun. Week one's really, really fun. It's a it's a good time for overreactions. That's the main thing we can look at here. It's a great time to overreact on every little thing that took place this weekend because you either think your team's going to lose every game or you think your team's guaranteed to win every game. And, again, That's how I was last year when the Buffalo Bills played the Los Angeles Rams. It was kind of funny. I had a Facebook memory pop-up today. Just a little bit ago, actually. Where is it at? Where is There it is. A year ago today. So it's September 14th right now. But the title of the episode on September 14th was Bills Bully Rams. Buffalo Bills Bully Rams on their banner night. Again, like it was insane that that took place. And then fast forward to this year, it was just not what you expected. Maybe the the result, maybe the Bills losing was predictable. Maybe that was pretty. I mean, remember, we saw him last year lose to the Jets in Jersey with Zach Wilson at quarterback. So when everybody was like, man, what do you think is going to happen? You're like, ah, or I'm like, man, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think the Bills can win this game. I think they should win this game. But I understand the threat of the Jets' defense, and I do understand they lost to Zach Wilson last year, and now Aaron Rodgers is in. And when Aaron Rodgers got hurt on the fourth play of the game, It kind of changed your perspective on it. You went from, uh, maybe we will. I'm like 50-50 right now. Maybe I was like 51-49 in favor of Bills win. After that happened, I'm like, ooh, I'm like 60-40. Because once again, Bills lost to Zach Wilson last year. It's happened before. So I'm not going to rule that out happen again. And of course it did. I just didn't expect it to look like that, if that makes any sense. I didn't expect to see Josh Allen turn the ball over four times in a game where the Bills lost a turnover battle 4-1. And the one turnover came when Zach Wilson hit Matt Milano pretty much right in the chest. Like, it wasn't anything they really worked for. And then Brees Hall broke up a couple massive runs. He went on a punt return touchdown in overtime. Like, second and 15 draw play in overtime. Like, it was just an odd way to lose a game. Especially to a division rival that was much hyped going into the season. And the New York Jets. So, by by default, they're going to get a lot of media attention. Yes, they're in Jersey, but the New York media market will be all over them. And they started the season off 1-0 without Aaron Rodgers beating the mighty Buffalo Bills who have already been receiving some sweat of, I don't want, hate's not the right word, but like some downturn going into this season versus what we saw last year, especially from what we saw last season. Again, like everybody in the NFL Network predicted the Bills to go to the Super Bowl. I've seen people this year predict the Bills are going to the playoffs, not going to the playoffs this year. I saw people a day ago say the Broncos dodged a bullet by not drafting Josh Allen in 2018. Like, what kind of ridiculous society do we live in right now? The Denver Broncos dodged a bullet by not drafting Josh Allen. What the hell are we t- what, what has transpired in less than a year to get us to this point? Because a year ago, Josh Allen was the overwhelming favorite to win MVP. Josh Allen put up really good numbers last year. Yes, the offense wasn't as explosive as what you would have liked it to be, but still put up really good numbers. Justin Jefferson, did he just fumble at the one-yard line? Okay, no, no. Okay, I got scared there a little bit. I have Justin Jefferson in two of my fantasy leagues, so I got a little nervous that he fumbled there. And I think they might be ruling that. Darius Slay's ruling that anyways. Or Where are they putting the ball at? I don't know what's going on here. There's 33 seconds left in the first half. I don't know what's going on here, but that's not the point. Like, yes, the Bills were not as intense or as elite of a 13 and three team as you've ever seen ever. I think he might've lost that out of bounds past the goal line. That might be, that might be Eagles ball. You know, that might be Eagles ball, you know, which is not great. I don't need a Justin Jefferson fumble here. He definitely lost it. And was it out of bounds before the pylon or was it, did it go out of bounds past the pylon? I don't know. We'll have to see. They keep replaying it. And I'm not, I'm not sure looking at any angle that they have. I don't know what, what the hell happened there, but Like, what are we doing now? We went from that to this. To now we're talking about Josh Allen leads the league in turnovers since 2018 since he got drafted. Cool. A lot of great quarterbacks have turned the ball over like Josh. Josh is still putting up 700, 800 yards rushing. Josh Allen is still putting up 4,500 yards passing. Josh Allen is still top five in passing touchdowns. Like, what are we talking about here? I understand that he's turning the ball over a little too much, especially that week one game. A game where you needed to be on your top game to prove to everybody that you are still the top dog in the division. To put forth a game like that hurts, but I have not lost any faith in Josh Allen as the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, like some people out there seemingly have done. I I know I had my little rant on Monday's show or Wednesday's show, wherever we post the show, but I'm still behind Josh 100%. I was angry. After watching that performance, you're, you're rightfully angry as a fan. You don't want to see your team get embarrassed like that. And, yes, you lost 16 to what? 16 to 22? Was that the score? 16 to 21? No, 16 to 22. Like, yeah, it, you, you see a game like that, closer score. And I'm seeing the freaking replays of Josh Allen throwing interceptions now. They just showed Patrick Mahomes throwing interceptions as well, so that's fine too. And all three of the picks to Jordan Whitehead as well. That's what also hurts. That's what also – it was all three to the same person. He got his his bonus that game. He needed three picks in the season to get 250. He got 250 that game because Josh just wanted to gift him the ball. But again, I will reiterate this. Just because I was mad and upset about the performance that we saw on Monday Night Football, I will not ever doubt Josh Allen's ability to be the franchise quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Josh Allen's the greatest quarterback in Bills history. Yes, I'm aware Jim Kelly exists. I understand that. And maybe Josh Allen needs to go to a Super Bowl before we really start having that conversation. But from our overall ability, it's not even close. This guy is the only guy in the NFL that can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. Like, Patrick Mahomes makes an insane throw. Guess who's the only other quarterback that can make that throw? He's wearing 17 and for the Buffalo Bills. I know everybody likes Joe Burrow, and that's fine. Joe Burrow can't make half the throws Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes can. Maybe he doesn't turn the ball over as much. But I can tell you this, Joe Burrow has less 4th quarter touchdowns than his defense does in the playoffs. And I love Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow's comfortably the 3rd best quarterback in the NFL. But let's stop acting like Joe Burrow has surpassed Josh Allen. I understand he's went to a Super Bowl, but he hasn't done anything in the 4th quarter in the playoffs. And Josh Allen has more <laughs> he has more touchdowns in one playoff series than Joe Burrow has in his entire playoff career to this point. At least last time I checked. What do they rule? Call on the field reverse. What does that mean? Justin Jefferson fumbled. It. Okay, it, it is the Eagles ball. That's what I thought was going to happen, but you never know. And you can go check that because I'm not looking at it right now. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong at saying the touchdown thing, but man, let's stop acting like this is some Josh Allen's fall completely off the face of the earth, and now he's not even a top 10 quarterback in the league because of one game. It's the first game of the year. It's obviously up for overreactions and stuff like that. Let's stop pretending to Tua Tagovailoa is anywhere close to to Josh Allen because he threw 400 yards against the Chargers defense. Against the Chargers defense. Tyreek Hill had 215 of those yards. Like, come on, man. We're not actually having this discussion of Tua being better than Josh Allen. We are not talking about this. This is dumb. Whoever's saying that can stop. The fact that people are saying the Denver Broncos, who have had X amount of quarterbacks since 2018 saying they dodged a bullet by drafting Josh Allen. Didn't draft Josh Allen. Like Russell Wilson. You, went, you would take Russell Wilson over Josh Allen. You would do that. Comfortably, you would comfortably say that. You would take Trevor Simeon. You would take, who else have they had? Was Trevor Simeon there when Josh Allen got drafted, or was he before then? I don't even remember. Would you take Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, all these different quarterbacks? You would take those guys over Josh Allen. With all the trauma you've had at the quarterback position from Denver, you would take all that, Versus taking Josh Allen. Shut up, man. Come on. Seriously? I understand we're in the era of clickbait media and clickbait sports and clickbait journalism and all that stuff, but seriously, there's trying to get clicks and then there's just being ridiculous. I have friends that are Broncos fans. I don't think any of, oh, I don't. I know they wouldn't say it. None of them would say that. At all. That's one of the dumbest takes I think I've ever seen. I screenshot it because I wanted to make sure I didn't just like make believe it. It was from a fan-sided page. Lou Skag... Skag... Taguila? Josh Allen has been able to fool people into thinking he's a superstar quarterback, but it's clear that that's just not the case. That's one of the dumbest articles I've ever heard in my life. If you know anything about football, Josh Allen's a top three quarterback in the NFL, and has been for the last at least two years. To say otherwise... Proves you don't know ball. Let's just put it like that. You don't know ball. And that's fine. That's fine. But I don't think you should be having a password to a fan-sided account. I don't think that should be you. I think you should be giving that to someone else. Even Nick Wright wouldn't say that. To my knowledge. Maybe he would. Maybe he would because it would drive a lot of clicks and a lot of attention for him. So maybe he would say something like that. But that is ridiculous. Come on. Come on. I know you're, I know you're just some fan that wanted to post on the Broncos fan forum. forum but dude. Seriously seriously man there's no one else in the NFL apart from maybe Patrick I mean obviously Patrick Mahomes is better than Josh Allen I'm not ignorant to that fact but I would not trade Josh Allen for anybody in the league I wouldn't I'm sorry I understand he's 0-5 in overtime I don't care and people are like oh they changed overtime for a rules for him and he can't win that's only for the playoffs dipshits you you understand that overtime rule is just for the playoffs right They changed the overtime rule for him. No. They weren't even the team that put forth the offer. It was like the freaking Rams and Titans and a couple, like one other team, maybe like the Colts. The Bills weren't even involved in getting that thing passed. The Chiefs bitched more about it after the stupid Patriots game the year before than the Bills did after that. Go and watch all the post-game press conferences after that game. I would love to hear you see one of them bitch about anything in that overtime. But people love to look at that game and go like, oh, Joshua did to touch the ball, Josh Alge could play, Josh did. It's only for the playoffs. He's lost one overtime playoff game. And it was that one. That was the only time he's been in the overtime of the playoffs. And maybe that's a bad thing because he's getting blown out by the freaking Bengals last year. Stupid. I don't know. It's just a frustrating time. And I expect the Bills fully to bounce back in this week's game against the Raiders. If they don't go, I think I said this on Wednesday, if they don't go into that freaking Dolphins game 2 and 1, we're going to have some serious issues. Not at the quarterback position, but we're going to have some serious issues on what the 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 trajectory of this season is actually going to be. I said 12 and 5 in my preview. I still think that's possible. This first part of the season apart from a couple teams is fairly easy. They have a freaking gauntlet at the end of the year. But they can maneuver these games. Was I expecting them to go into week one and win? I'm pretty sure. Like I, Well, I said I would, I predicted them to win, but I don't know if I actually had that in my schedule prediction, if that makes any sense. Which I don't think it does. But, you know, that's whatever. It's my show. I can do what I want. <laughs> but goodness gracious. It's just a crazy time. It's just a crazy time in the NFL. Week one, week one is just an insane time. Because, again... It's all for the overreactions. It's all built off overreactions. It's one game. It's one game, and I'm going to have an accelerated or like a, an amplified response to that because it's my team losing to a team that I don't really like in the Jets, especially when their quarterback gets hurt. I didn't need that, and I'm frustrated, but my faith in the team going forward is not wavered. I still think this is a playoff team. I think this, still, this team still can win the division. I'm more nervous for the games against the Jets and Dolphins, not really the Patriots. I mean, that's that's whatever. Like, Mac Jones better than – okay, I, I haven't seen a lot of that, but I did see people say Mac Jones better than Brock Purdy, and that's kind of crazy at this point, to be honest. I understand Mac Jones been to a Pro Bowl. He got that by default because Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson said they didn't want to go. Well, Lamar Jackson was hurt, and Josh Allen said he didn't want to go. So, Mac Jones got that by default. So, it's kind of like that weird picture with Trubisky in the Pro Bowl. Cause you got Mac Jones in the Pro Bowl with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert for the AFC side, and Mac Jones hit a gritty and <laughs> he ran the episode. But man, I am a little more nervous for those games going in than I was a week ago. But I still have no fa- no no worry about this team making the playoffs. And again, I think this still this team still can win the division. And it all starts. You I know it's not a division game, but you got to go in that Dolphins game two and one. You got to right the ship against the Raiders, and I have no doubt they will. But it's still, that thought sitting in your back of your head, they can't struggle in this team. I am very nervous to see what Spencer Brown does against Max Crosby and Tyree, jo- Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, their rookie, who didn't have the greatest game against the Broncos last week, but still scary enough. I'm nervous for that, but that's about it. That's the only thing, I'm mean, obviously, Devon- well, Devontae Adams missed practice. So I don't know. He had, I guess he had a foot injury or something. So we'll see what happens with Devontae Adams. Obviously, Josh Jacobs being there is a threat a really big threat because you saw what he, the freaking Brees Hall fresh off an ACL and meniscus tear did week one after getting hurt in what week seven last year broke off two massive run average 54.5 yards per attempt in at his first two carries of the game oh Jake Elliott 61 yard attempt drilled it right before halftime 13-7 Eagles absolutely drilled it 13-7 Justin Jefferson come on my guy Clearly the best receiver in the NFL, though. I love Jamar Chase. I love Tyreek Hill. Or I like Tyreek Hill. I can't say I love Tyreek Hill because he does some things that I necessarily uh, do not condone. I would like to say that. <laughs> for the for the record, I would not. I'd like not to condone anything Tyreek Hill has done in the past, and he's played for the Dolphins, which doesn't help anything either. But, you know, very good receiver. But Justin Jefferson, come on. Like, we know he's the best receiver. I know that happened, but there's going to be people on social media tomorrow, or even right now, that are saying Justin Jefferson's not the best receiver in the NFL. Well, it'll have it'll happen, it'll happen. But this Bills Raiders game going back to the Bills is key. Want to know Raiders versus own one Bills? Bills have to win that game. And there's some other fun games this week like Chargers B- Chargers Titans. That's a game for the Chargers to back bounce back against. Titans really should pose no threat to the Chargers in that game. They really shouldn't. Chargers are too high powered offensively to have any issue with the Titans. Packers Falcons. That will be a very fun game. I hope that uh, Arthur Smith remembers that he has two top ten picks in the form of drake london and kyle kyle pitts to use and it would really help if they utilize kyle pitts who's one of the most athletically gifted tight ends in the recent history in the nfl it'd be nice to realize hey we got a very gifted tight end here we should probably use him a little bit like that'd be very nice and maybe you could do that against the packers and maybe jordan love against this second i mean this defense in general Secondaries, you know, got some question marks, but they made some moves this offseason. Obviously got A.J. Terrell there. They got brought Jesse Bates in from the Bengals. Like, they got pieces that brought Jeff Okuda in. I don't know if he played last week against the Panthers. I missed a, a few of the noon games last week, but that'll be a fun one. ravens Bengals. Bengals have had some success against the Ravens in recent years. They have. But the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, Steve Egan put forth a better... But this is two quarterbacks, so we need to see a better performance this week. We need to. Like, Lamar Jackson registered no touchdowns, got a pick. And I think he might have fumbled in there as well. Joe Burrow, obviously, we saw what he did against the Browns, which was next to nothing. And that was a rusty game. Bengals, the last couple of years, have not really started seasons off particularly well. So this was something that, you know, was not out of the ordinary for this team. And Joe Burrow, coming off the calf injury, was going to be rusty after not playing a single preseason game. Not even a snap in preseason. So maybe they should have kept Reed Sinnott and had him go out against the, the Cleveland Browns week one. But that'll be a fun game. They got Seahawks-Lions. Seahawks 0-1. That, that's surprising. Two tackles are hurt. Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. Two second-year tackles. They brought in 48-year-old Jason Peters. He's, I think he's like 41. Still one of the weirder trades the Bills have ever done. Like, I was looking at his Wikipedia yesterday, because, you know, Jason Peters was awesome in Buffalo. He was awesome in Buffalo. But he was, he was wanting a new contract, and the Bills were cheap as hell. Very cheap. And not very good, either. So they traded him to the Eagles for a first-round draft pick. And, you know, they got Eric Wood in that pick, who's a Bills Colt legend, but I would rather have Jason Peters. I think most Bills fans taking off the roast tinted glasses would take Jason Peters over Eric Wood. I'm sorry. Like a former tight end at Arkansas, I think he went to Arkansas, a former tight end coming in switching to tackle, dominating there, displacing a first-round draft pick from the Bills, that's good stuff. I really was hoping he'd come back to Buffalo, but, you know, the Bengals did cut Lyle Collins, So if he's back and healthy enough, the Bills could sign him in. I mean, right tackle right there. See if that's sorted out. Bears-Bucks. Interesting game. A little different thought process going to this game than we did probably last week. Because I don't think any of us out there were really expecting the Bucks to beat the Vikings. And I don't think a lot of us out there were expecting the Bears to look as bad against the Packers. Loss was obviously on the cards. We could – Bears-Packers, it's always open to Bears losing this game. But I didn't expect them to look that bad. I didn't expect them to look that bad. So that's a little bit more interest, especially with the Bucks – Talent defensively, offensively they're going to be you know mid as hell, but they've got the talent off defensively. Chiefs, Jaguars, Brady already thinks that they're. Ne- he said this last Friday or Saturday show that he's not even sure the Chiefs will go into the ne- the Bears game two and zero or one and one. He thinks they might even lose to the Jaguars. We'll have to see. Chiefs are the favorite in that game, but we'll have to see. Then we got Colts, Texans battle the rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud versus Anthony Richardson. He is healthy Richardson, which is big. So we'll see which team comes out on top there. Then we got the Rams and 49ers. First time in NFL history that I saw where the number one overall pick is playing Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback. Cool stuff. Very cool stuff. The legend of Brock Purdy keeps growing because, again, I've said this a thousand times, not even Iowa State fans thought he'd get to this point. So, like, people are like, man, how did he fall in the draft? Man, people from the state of Iowa, Iowa State fans, and you and I fans, Drake fans, William Penn fans, no one thought Brock Purdy was going to be where he is right now. A captain of one of the best teams in the NFL – one of the favorites to not only go to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl. This is this is impressive stuff from Purdy. I give him all the credit in the world, and I'm excited to see what he can do against the Rams. We got Giants-Cardinals. Ass game. We got Cowboys-Jets, which got a little bit less interesting now that Rodgers is hurt, but we'll see how Zach Wilson does the rest of the year. Two good defenses right there. Then we got the Commanders versus the Broncos. No one cares. And then we got Dolphins-Patriots Sunday Night Football. I highly doubt the Patriots offense can keep up with the Dolphins, but hey, that defense is good enough to halt them. We'll see. And then we got two Monday night games. we got Saints-Panthers, Bryce Young's first primetime game. And also Derek Carr's first primetime game with the New Orleans Saints. And then we got the Browns and the Steelers. Old school rivalry. But uh, we'll see which one. See if the Steelers bounce back. And we'll see if the Browns can carry on to 2-0. It'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting. But, man, there's some good matchups this week. There's some good matchups this week in the NFL. For college, though, not not the same. College games get really good next week. But this Saturday, there's not a lot of great games. Like we got, we got Miami versus Bethune Cookman on right now, and Miami's up forty-one nothing. Not surprised. Bethune Cookman. I might have read this wrong. Their over/under for points to score was a half a point. So if you bet on Bethune Cookman to score at any point—field goal, safety, touchdown, whatever it was—you won money. I don't know how much money, but currently down forty-one nothing with three minutes left in the third quarter. And they got the ball on their own 25, so we'll see if that actually happens. I don't know if it will or not, but Van Dyke, two touchdowns in the game. Good to see from him. Rest of the top 25 matchups, we got a weird-ass spread. We'll go over the state of Iowa schools first, but we got Iowa versus Western Michigan. Lines 28-and-a-half. Who the hell came up with that line? Who came up with that line? 28-and-a-half. I saw a video the other day said, I'm not going to bet on a team covering 28-and-a-half when they haven't even scored 28 points themselves this season. I think that's fair. I told you going to the Utah State game, my expectation for that game was 31 points. They scored 24. This game, I'm expecting 27. 27 points is my expectation for Iowa versus Western Michigan, which is sad, I know, but that is what level Iowa's offense is. And you know what's even sadder? This offense is better than what it was last year. It's, it's better than what it was last year. Again, they had scored... 14 total points their first two games of the season last year. Right now, what are they at? They scored, what, 24 and then 20? So we're at 44 points right now? I mean, you got a lot more points at this point than he did at this point last year. You got, almost, you got more than six times the amount of points this point of the season. You know, insanely depressing that is. And I understand South Dakota State, again, went to his FCS championship game. But that is sad. 20 and a half. I'm expecting Iowa to score 27. So that tells you right there, I don't think Iowa's covering the spread. It would take a lot of alcohol and other and other substances to me for me to bet on Iowa covering 28 and a half. I don't care who it's against. I don't care who it's against. You dropped 24 on Utah State. I like my score prediction for this game is 27-3. That's my score prediction, Iowa-Western Michigan, 27-3. Iowa, obviously, winning the game. Going into that Penn State game, we'll see who P- Penn State plays Illinois. That's an 11 o'clock kick on Fox, so that'll be an interesting one. But, like, Illinois didn't look great against Kansas. It looked a little worse than what I was originally expecting them to do. So, maybe Penn State batters them. Who knows? Penn State's just a really complete team. Very, very complete team. I expect I, – does the Penn State-Iowa game have a line? It should. It should have a line. What's the spread for that one? 13. In favor, did I need to tell you it's for Penn State? 13. Minus 13 is the line. Two top 25 teams hopefully knock on wood in that game, but I'm not expecting Iowa to win. I think Iowa can compete defensively. You're just going to have to control time of possession and get a lot of defensive and special team scores because I don't know if the offense will really do a whole lot. Because Penn State, like, Iowa has Cooper DeJean. Arguably, you could raise them Kaelin King. Iowa has Joe Evans. Penn State can raise you Chop Robinson. Like, the players Iowa has, like Jay Higgins, they'll raise you Abdul Carter. So every player Iowa has, even on defensive side of the ball, you could say is better than what Iowa has. And offensively, like, Drew Allar is better than Cade McNamara. Singleton is better than Caleb Johnson or Jazz. Like, I would take Penn State in that game. 13 and a half, though. I think Iowa could lose by 10. I I wouldn't be shocked, like, shocked-shocked if Iowa lost, like, won the game by, like, three. I wouldn't be shocked about it, but I also wouldn't be shocked if Iowa got beat by 40. Like, I've seen it happen before. I've seen Iowa go into Happy Valley with less chance to win than this one, come away with a dub. I've seen Iowa beat Penn State at home with less chance to win than this one. I've also seen Iowa get absolutely slaughtered by Penn State. So I'm not ruling anything out of the question with this game, but, oh, jeez, Bethune-Cookman... Lost two yards on the play, but Iowa versus Western Michigan. Speaking on that game, yeah, uh, twenty-seven to three is my prediction there. Now Iowa State is also playing a max school this week, and as Ohio, with Curtis Wark apparently fully back and healthy at Ohio, that makes this game extremely interesting. Because if Curtis Wark wasn't there, we might be having a, a little bit different conversation here. But since he is playing and is healthy, that adds a whole new wrinkle to this game. Like, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say Iowa State will lose this game. We predicted Iowa State to win in our video, but I don't know. This will be a tough game. Ohio's not a – they're not an easy team to beat. Yes, I understand they lost to San Diego State week one. But, again, Curtis Work was coming back from an ACL injury. Didn't really play that much in that game. It's kind of like a welcome back to football type thing, like ease him back into it. It's one of the few times I've ever seen that done for the quarterback position, but, hey, it, it was done. It was done nonetheless. But Iowa State versus Ohio, that's a tough game. That's a very tough game. And that's not even me being disrespectful to Iowa State. Ohio is just a very good team, especially with being at home. Like, the line right now sits at Iowa State minus three. Iowa State, according to ESPN's FBI, is got a 75.8% chance to win. According to their FBI, minus three over under is 425 I don't know. It'll be a tough game. I think Iowa State will win, but I, it'll be tough. It will be tough. And then as for you and I, the last team we're going to talk about here, starting 0-2, we knew this was a possibility. We knew this was a possibility that could happen. You play in Iowa State and Weber State. you got an FBS school in Iowa State. Just naturally going to be bigger, faster, stronger. It's just a matter of you. Can you go in there and upset them? And then you got Weber State, a top 15, top 10 program in the FCS level who's historically got a very good pass defense. They had some inexperience at quarterback, but still, they have a lot of talent on this roster. And it showed last week. And Theo Day had some throws that I'm sure he definitely wants back. You and I had some other turnovers that they'll definitely want back. Like, they kind of gave that game away against Weber State. At home, too. But l- I wish, I just wish that they flipped the Idaho State game, which is the game they're playing tomorrow, or Saturday, sorry because I, I, we've recorded these past two shows on a Friday. This is a back to normal scheduling right here, so we're putting this out on a Friday. But I wish they flipped Idaho State to last week and then had Weber State this week. Because, yes, Iowa's playing at home, but it's against Western Michigan. If you're going to get fans to the stands in that game, having them play a top 10, top 15 program at Weber State while Iowa's playing Western Michigan and Iowa State's on the road, that would be nice. That would be very nice for you and I, especially since the tickets for students are free. I would like to see that, but I they they really shouldn't have any issues against freaking Idaho State. They really shouldn't. I, I I know I've said that, like well I haven't said it up to this point in the season for you and I because again I understood that Iowa State and Weber State were tough teams, but Idaho State's zero two. Idaho State won one game last year. You want to know the scores of the two games they played? Granted, they were both FBS opponents, and they played well against one of the teams here. But they lost 36-28 to San Diego State. Good game. Next week, they got beat 78 to 28 by Utah State. 78 to 28 by to Utah State. And this game's at home, but still, 78 to 20, you and I should definitely ease through this game. There's no reason they should it. Like Idaho State's got a very solid offense. They got a very very solid offense. But man, 591 yards of total offense allowed in this game with no turnovers forced. I mean, Iowa State solid offensively, but they couldn't do anything to halt Utah State's offense, and you and I, they have to stop beating themselves. That's the main thing you have to take away from you and I this season. You look at the game against Iowa State. Yes, Iowa State was the better team, but still, you had moments in that game for you and I, the pick six on you and I's opening drive, the punt return that you allowed on the next offensive drive for Iowa State are the Was it the next one or the second? I can't remember what the order was exactly, but the punt return, like you allowed Iowa state to score 14 points in like the easiest fashion possible. And then you were out of the game completely before you really got anything going for the most part. It makes it tough. When you give away points like that, it makes it really tough. And then the Weber state, we talked about the turnovers they had in that game, gave it away. They cannot do that against Iowa state. I don't think they will. Like Idaho State forced zero turnovers last week. I don't think you and I will turn the ball over as frequently as they have, but yeah, you can't look past it. Do not look past it if you're you and I. I don't want them to start zero and three on the season. That'd be very brutal and not not expected at all. Like again, the Iowa State Weaver State games were like we were aware of the problems they faced. Idaho State, I never thought twice about this game. Kirk Cousins got strip-sacked, and the Eagles just picked it up and have the ball at, like, the six, seven-yard line. Not ideal for the boy, Kirk. Fletcher Cox picks it up. Who got the strip-sack on that play? Oh, it's Sweat. Sweat comes around the corner. Is Christian Derisaw in? I saw on the – he's not in. Who's that left tackle? Who is that? 74. Who's 74? That's not Christian Derisaw. Christian Darius is 71, right? Who is 74? I don't know who this is. Ollie Semeca Udo from Elon, sixth round draft pick in 2019. I've never heard of this guy in my life. I've never heard of this guy in my whole life. Like, I saw Christian I was on the injury report, they needed him there. They need him there. Christian Dariusaw is one of the better tackles in the NFL, and DeAndre Swift just scored a play later. Are they marking him down at the one? I thought he was definitely in. They're calling him down, though. They're calling him down, though. This game isn't really that surprising in the fact that the Eagles are winning this game. Like, I think a lot of people out there expected the Eagles to win. Is he down? He's down at the one, yeah. Or, like, the half-inch line. Well, remember, the ball only needs... Yeah, he's down. He's down. The ball only needs to touch the line. Like and the eagle, he's gonna quarterback sneak it again. Yeah, they got it. There's the touchdown. There's twenty to seven. <laughs> the most unstoppable play in football is the Eagles' quarterback sneak. It was like when Nate Stanley was at Iowa. Most unstoppable play when he was at Iowa was the quarterback sneak. It's insane how that works out. Absolutely insane. But there's other other top twenty-five games this weekend for college football. Like we got Florida State, Boston College. Which I mean, it'd be fun to watch Florida State, Penn State, Illinois. LSU, Mississippi State, Kansas State, Missouri. Weaver State versus Utah is an interesting one. That is a very interesting game. I would recommend watching that if you can. It's on Pac-12 Network. That would be an interesting one. If you don't watch a lot of Pac-12, or, uh, not Pac-12, if you want, don't watch a lot of FCS football, that could be a fun one. Notre Dame, Central Michigan, South Carolina, Georgia, name-wise is fun. Result-wise, like Georgia's a 27-and-a-half point favorite. After watching what North Carolina did to South Carolina's offensive line, what do you think Georgia's going to do? It's going to be interesting how that works out. We got Alabama at South Florida. Never really thought I'd see that, but hey, to each their own. San Diego State, Oregon State, Oklahoma, Tulsa at Tulsa. What is going on this weekend? We got Alabama at USF, and we got Oklahoma at Tulsa, and we got Iowa State at Ohio. This is a weird week. <laughs> we got Minnesota at North Carolina, which should be a fun one. Northwestern Duke, which Duke should really have no issues there. Uh, Western Kentucky versus Ohio State. Washington versus Michigan State. Washington State should have no issues there. Northern Colorado against Washington State. This should be just like a 600-yard pass game from Cameron Ward or 500-yard pass game from him. We got North Carolina Central against UCLA. Tennessee at Florida is probably your best game of the week because Florida's got a very solid defense, especially against the pass, and Tennessee didn't really, like, open the floodgates last week against Austin Peay like we expected. We got Bowling Green at Michigan. We got Georgia Tech at Ole Miss. Wyoming at Texas. Can Wyoming upset another Texas school? this season. Uh, then we got Hawaii at Oregon. Oregon. Okay, I thought that said 58. 38-point favorite for Oregon. And then we got Colorado State against Colorado. Colorado's a 24-point favorite. Colorado State is 0-1 on the season, losing 50-24 to to Washington State. And uh, we are going to go over our picks this weekend. And I got to make sure I can actually write this down. Can I draw? There's got to be a draw thing, right? definition selective color white bounce red eye retouch I don't want to do all this I just want to I just want to I just want to draw what's going on I don't care about any of this stop I just want to mark down do I have to grab my phone I don't want to grab my phone I'll try to remember what games I picked but uh we got some picks here remember Tom sends us the little the little graphic thing so we're just gonna go over the graphics and some of the games this weekend. Air Force against Utah State. Again, this is a Utah State team that dropped 78 points last week. Granted, it was against Idaho State. Air Force, you know, got the freaking triple option offense. Always a tough offense to play. Air Force is a nine-point favorite in this game. And it's going to be interesting, especially at Air Force. They're coming off a close 13-3 win over uh, San Houston State. And yeah, Utah State's relatively good against the run. Do I think they'll cover Nine. That's the question. You know what? We're going to go... Who? Triple option offense is really tough to play. And the Air Force has got a very solid defense. Granted, they've played freaking RMU. Who the hell is that? Who's RMU? Robert Morris. Okay. And then Sam Houston State. <laughs> so, I haven't really played a murderous row of teams here, but I... We're going to, like, Air Force does allowed 39 yards in the ground this year. Utah State's big focal point on offense is in the ground game. Air Force averages 309 yards a carry. We're going to go Air Force. We are going to stick with Air Force. I know Utah State's got the ability to open up top, but we're going to go with Air Force winning that game. Covering the spread there. Kansas State at Missouri. I think Kansas State really shouldn't have an issue here. Missouri, what is Missouri's record this year? I guess I haven't really seen anything from Missouri this year. I just know Kansas State. I know Kansas State, I like Will Howard. I know it's on the road at Missouri. And Missouri, remember last year, they almost upset Georgia early on in the season, but they came close to losing against Middle Tennessee State. A team that did beat Miami last year, but a bad Miami team. We're going to go Kansas State covering that one, the five and a half spread there. Penn State, Illinois. If you would have asked me this before the Kansas game, I would have said guaranteed Illinois to cover. But man, they looked bad in that Kansas game. And I think Penn State, again, with all the players we mentioned before, Like in Penn State, or Illinois allowing 477 yards a game. 477 a game. Played Kansas and Toledo. They almost lost to Toledo week one. So we're going to have Penn State covering the 15 and a half. Is it 14 and a half? We're going to have Penn State covering there. Louisville versus Indiana, I'm not really a big fan of either team. Louisville, obviously got Brom coming in from Purdue. So Indiana will be somewhat familiar with what they're going to be facing in this game. But what's the what's the looks at here oh it's in indianapolis it's not even at the hoosier stadium it's not even there oh now indiana's coming off a 41-7 win against indiana state they did look better than expected against ohio state or maybe it was just ohio state looking worse than what we initially expected but we're gonna go uh, 10 do we think louisville can cover 10 against indiana louisville gives up a lot of yards on defense Indiana does not have necessarily the most high-powered offense, but still solid enough. Do we want to go – it's not even at Indiana. It's not really – it's in Indiana, but it's not at Indiana, if that makes sense. Ten points is the spread for this one. We'll come back to that one. We'll come back to one. Wisconsin and Georgia Southern. This one's fun because Washington, of course – or Wisconsin, sorry. That was, of course, coming off a loss to Washington State last week which is a very predictable loss. We had Washington State winning that game. Cameron Ward is on fire to start the season. And Georgia Southern, you know, traditionally a solid team. They're 2-0 on the season, coming off wins against UAB and the Citadel, both double-digit wins. So, you know, we like to see that there. Both offenses are relatively similar. But Wisconsin takes up a lot of their space on the ground game. Similar is the amount of total yards allowed or gain for each team. And yards allowed, both defense aren't particularly that great this year. Wisconsin didn't look great themselves against Buffalo. And obviously didn't look great against Washington State there either. So, Georgia Southern, what's the line again? 20? Anyone you know, might pick Georgia Southern to cover that game. I didn't think they can lose by 17, right? What are other people saying about that game? I think they can lose by 20 or 17, Wisconsin, Georgia, remember Georgia Southern, was Georgia Southern a team that beat Nebraska last year, is that is that, that happened last year, right, with Scott Frost, I think it was Georgia Southern, maybe it was a different thing I'm thinking of, what do I want to pick here, I'm trying to see what other people are saying here, do we think Georgia Southern can score 20, can keep it within 20? I'm trying to cheat here and see what the quote-unquote experts are saying here. I just want to see someone agreeing with me, and if they don't... Like I like Tanner Mordecai for uh, Wisconsin. I think I'm just going to pick Georgia Southern, aren't I? And that's what we're going to go with. I think I'm going to go Georgia Southern here. Uh, Iowa State, Ohio. Ooh. If Iowa State's offense looks as good as they did last week, then Ohio could win this game. Or even then, I think they—if they look that bad—they might actually win this game. Not could—they might actually do it. But Iowa State still got really good players defensively. Still got Jeremiah Coopers back there. You got T.J. Tampa. You got Miles Purchase. Like you've got some great players defensively in the secondary. So I am going to say Iowa State wins, and I do think they cover three. I think they go in by like five. Like seventeen two or let's go four we'll go 17 to 21 that's a nice round score that may that score makes me feel nice I don't know if Iowa State can really route them like they did last year I don't really see that happening but you know winning by five or four or something like that I think is definitely not out of the question for the Cyclones of this game oh Devontae Smith just scored Jalen Hurts deep ball Devontae Smith absolutely could who is that Evans for the Minnesota Vikings absolutely cooked him beat him for speed I don't know if he was expecting a safety over top or something but man absolutely cooked him But we're gonna Iowa State covering there. LSU Mississippi State obviously got Will Rogers there at Mississippi State the quarterback position Mississippi State what are they looking at, at the start of the season what is their record at this point in time I haven't seen a lot of things Mississippi State is 2-0 on the year Give up a lot of yards. I mean, LSU gives up a lot of yards defensively as well, but most of those yards were against Florida State rather than Grambling State, where they beat 72-10. to Do we think? You know what? I think they can't. Nine and a half? Yeah, we'll pick LSU. We'll pick LSU in that one. Duke-Northwestern, 20 points. I mean, they remember, they beat – or 19 and a half, sorry. Remember, they beat Clemson by 21. They did beat Clemson by 21. Northwestern is considerably worse than Clemson, and it's at Duke. Duke should easily beat Northwestern by twenty. They should easily beat Northwestern. We're going to take North. We're going to play take Duke in that one. North Carolina, Minnesota, six and a half is the line here. Obviously, got Drake May and the Tar Heels coming off a win against Appalachian State. Minnesota is two and zero as well to this point of the season. They uh, beat Nebraska week one in one of the worst games ever for the start of it, and then one of the weirder, exciting games towards the end of the game, but not in anything, not in a good way. Not in a good way, but they're also coming off a win against Eastern Michigan as well. North Carolina still not great defensively. Still not great defensively. Minnesota fairly balanced, but nothing, any, not anything spectacular on offense. North Carolina obviously dominated the run game last game against Appalachian State. We're going to go North Carolina covering and winning. Seven and a half is the line here. We're going to go with the Tar Heels covering and winning in that game. Then we got Rutgers, Virginia Tech. Who the hell cares about this game? What kind of game is this? I could give a rat's ass about freaking Rutgers versus Virginia Tech. Seven is the line for Rutgers. Can Rutgers win any game by seven? They lost to Purdue last week. Or no, that's, that's Virginia Tech, sorry. They beat Northwestern, obviously. They beat Temple. Virginia Tech's giving up a lot of yards defensively. Can Rutgers cover seven against Virginia Tech? Like, Rutgers covering seven against Northwestern is kind of, like, you know, part of the course just because it's, it's Northwestern. It's not anything spectacular. It's a terrible team, probably the worst team in college football. So that's not really, you know, oh, my God, they really did that. But, man, Virginia Tech is not very good, are they? They're just not very good. We're gonna, we might take Rutgers there. we are take Rutgers in that game. So we're picking a lot of the favorites here. The only time we haven't picked a favorite, to my knowledge, is that Indiana game. Or not into the Georgia Southern game, sorry. Utah State Air Force will be interested. That's the other game I'm flipping on. But I think Georgia Southern is the only game we're, like, picking the underdog. Then we move on. South Carolina versus Georgia. Like I said before, South Carolina looked good offensively. Spencer Rattlers had a very solid year to start. Had three touchdowns last week against Furman. But it got set nine times against freaking North Carolina. Georgia is considerably better than North Carolina. I'm going to have Georgia covering the massive-ass 26-and-a-half spread just because of the off-the-line. If there wasn't as many questions around the protection of Spencer Rattler, then maybe we're talking about a different game here. But right now, I'm sitting here on Thursday, September 14th, and I think Georgia pounds them. Then we got Ohio State, Western Kentucky. It just depends on what, uh, what Ohio State team shows up. Are we going to get the team that showed up against Indiana, or are we going to get a better version of Ohio State like the one we saw last week? Against Youngstown State, which still wasn't anything necessarily spectacular. West Kentucky obviously has got Austin Reed at quarterback, one of the better quarterbacks in the lower levels for college football. Always will have a good offense, but they ship a lot of yards defensively. A lot of yards. They average four, giving up 454 yards per game. They give up more yards on average than they than they get. And again, they've got a great passing offense. But they give up – a they ship a lot of yards. and <laughs> Ohio State is very solid defensively. 29 and a half, though. That feels like a lot. And It is a night game – or a, a mid-afternoon game, sorry. It's at 3 o'clock. Afternoon game at the Horseshoe. Obviously not – well, I shouldn't say obviously at Western Kentucky because, man, we've got some games this week like Alabama at USF. We've got Iowa State at Ohio. We've got freaking – what was the game we said right after uh, Alabama USF? Oklahoma at Tulsa. Like, we've got these weirdo games this week. So maybe it wouldn't be that out of the ordinary if Western Kentucky did host Ohio State. Wouldn't that, that wouldn't be maybe not the craziest thing of all time. But 29 and a half, that's a weird spread. So Ohio State's not looking like anywhere what we were expecting them to be this year. I don't think, I, like, it was weird. They are leading the Big Ten in passing average. Like yards per like total passing yards this season, which is just feels weird and wrong given how we've how we've seen them this year. But I think I'm gonna pick Western Kentucky covering. I think I'm gonna pick them covering. 29 and a half, 30 points. Is Western Kentucky better than Youngstown State? Arguably. Arguably. They lost by twenty eight. Youngstown State did. Both at home. So I think I'm gonna have Western Kentucky win because they have the better quarterback situation on Austin Reed. Versus versus Youngstown State. Obviously, Ohio State has, like, Travion Henderson, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka, Cade Stover, and all those guys. Obviously, they're there. But I think Western Kentucky can do enough to at least cover. I, they might cover 27. Like, I don't think they'll lose by 30, but they might lose by 27. I don't think it'll be necessarily close for them, but we're going to have Western Kentucky covering there. Washington, Michigan State, again, I don't have, I don't think Washington will have too many problems here. Michigan State stinks, especially defensively. Their offense has looked good. Their offense has actually looked fairly solid. They're putting up a decent amount of yards passing. But Washington, they'll start off slower than what they probably... Oh, Kirk Cousins going deep. He has a receiver. And his complete. Jordan Addison, there's a touchdown for the Vikings. Good thing Addison's on my bench tonight. I like Jordan Addison. Why is he shushing the crowd? Jordan, I'm sorry. I like you. I really liked you at Pitt. I really like you at USC. You can't shush the crowd. When you're down 27-13, you can't to do that. You can't do that. Especially after your quarterback got sacked the drive before, or two drives before, sorry. Especially after your best player, Justin Jefferson, fumbled at the one-yard line into the end zone for an Eagles ball. You can't do that. You can't shoot the crowd. Great route by Addison. Not the greatest throw from Kirk, but hey, good job adjusting by Addison and gets scampers in the end zone. Let's see if he makes the extra point, though. We know it's a common theme in Vikings lore, missing field goals. And it would it almost missed, but he made it. <laughs> but uh we're gonna have Washington cover. It's 16 and a half. We're gonna have Washington cover that I think they can I think they can beat up on Michigan State. Oklahoma State, South Alabama. South Alabama's a fairly solid team. They're a fairly solid outfit. Oklahoma State is Alan Bowman still technically their starter? I don't know if he's technically still is. So I know he we started week one. Is he still leading them in passing yards? He is, with a whopping 193 yards of passing. Neither defense is great. South Alabama obviously lost to Tulane week one. They won last week against southeastern Louisiana. But can they go into Stillwater at night, which is historically a tough place to play for the best teams in the country, let alone little old South Alabama. There's a pretty decent coach at South Alabama, isn't there? Who is their head coach? I, ju- I thought I just saw something about South Alabama. Kane Womack. That's not who I thought it was. Who's their offensive coordinator? Do they have an office coordinator listed on here? I don't know if they'll actually have anything posted in the Wikipedia page for South Alabama's football program on the offensive coordinator spot. I need to see their – who the hell is their – I feel like they have a, like a decently well-known coach. It may not be okay. Well, I'll scroll all the way to the bottom. It's not the head coach. That's not who I'm thinking of. Major Applewhite. That's who it is. The Oklahoma quarterback or Texas quarterback. Sorry, Major Applewhite. That's who it was. I looked. I was looking at him the other day. I was looking at him the other because I watched the 2005 Texas documentary, the year they won the Rose Bowl against USC, and I was just like looking at old Texas quarterbacks, and I saw Major Applewhite. So yeah, not like insanely well known, but you know. Well-known to the lore of the Logan Blackman show, Major Applewhite. But South Alabama versus Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's not a very good team. They're just not very good. And what's the what's the spread in this game? What's the spread in this one? Seven? See, that's a fair spread. Like, I'm glad it's not some ridiculous like 20-point spread here. You know, we're going to have Oklahoma State. With it being at night, I think they can cover seven. I think they can cover seven at night at home. Uh, Toledo, San Jose State. We obviously saw San Jose State week one against USC. No one looks good there. And we obviously saw Toledo against Illinois. The game we talked about a little bit ago where Illinois did not look great. But we've seen these two teams in the, in the fray. And San Jose State quarterback Cordero actually leads the NCAA FBS level for passes, consecutive passes without an interception with 91. So he's doing a great job not turning the ball over this year. He's doing a very good job at that. It's at Toledo, which again is historically a absolute fortress for opposing teams. Historically, it's been it's well known for being impossible to go in there and win. Especially at night. Especially at night. The over-under's 57 and a half. Like, there's gonna be a lot of points scored in this game because neither team really plays defense. Toledo's got a very good offense. It scored 71 points last week. We're probably gonna go. I like Cordero. I do like Cordero for San Jose State, but we're probably gonna go. With the Toledo Rockets in this game winning at home. I think they can cover the seven. I think they could cover the seven. Is that that's what the line is, right? Yeah, the seven. I think they could cover the seven. Uh Tennessee at Florida. After watching Tennessee versus Appalachians or Appalachian, Austin P last week, my opinions on them have kind of changed. Like obviously they do, they dominated Virginia. If they don't unleash this offense like they can, then we might have some issues here. Because again, Florida's got a very solid pass defense. They got a very solid pass defense offensively I worry, obviously about Graham Mertz, at quarterback, scares the hell out of me. Tennessee can run the ball well. Passing game's been kind of lagging behind a little bit, but can the Tennessee Volunteers cover seven and a half? I'm going to say at the Swamp, we're going to have Florida covering. I think Tennessee still wins, but I think they win by like three. I don't think they cover. I will go with Florida covering that game. Troy hosting James Madison. I feel like that line might have switched. I feel like this line might have switched. Go go got to look at this one real quick. Did it switch? Troy at Appalachian State. Or James Madison at Troy. No, Troy's still the favorite. On NFL network, no less. A lot of NFL talent on Troy versus Appalachian State. I like I, Troy versus James Madison. I like James Madison. I like James Madison a lot. I am, I'm gonna be hard-pressed not to pick James Madison here. We're gonna pick, we're gonna pick the Dukes. We're gonna bid the Dukes of James Madison winning that game. So we got James Madison covering. Pitt versus West Virginia. Fun game historically. Fun game historically, but I'm not really looking forward to this game this time around. Is it a night game? That'd be pretty cool. I'm assuming it's a night game. It should always be a night game. It is. On ABC, it's just not as fun as it used to be, especially since <laughs> Pitt's coming off a loss to Cincinnati. West, West Virginia looked decent in their loss against Penn State. They ship a lot of yards defensively, but they put up a lot of yards as well. Morgantown's a tough place to go into and win, and West Virginia is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. In this game, this line has flipped. It was originally Pitt being the favorite in this game. Do we go with Pitt? I think that's the where I'm leaning. Just because they have a better defense. I think we're gonna go with Pitt. I think Pitt can win this game. So we're gonna pick Pitt covering the two and a half in this game against West Virginia. Then we got Syracuse Purdue. Purdue's got a good passing offense. I like Hudson Card a lot. Obviously coming off a win last week against Virginia Tech, but not the most insane victory of all time, as they probably I don't know remember if we picked them last week or not. But Virginia t- or Purdue against Syracuse, two and a half in the line for Syracuse. It's at Purdue. It's at Purdue. Syracuse has got a very good defense, puts up a lot of yards. Now, granted, they played Western Michigan and Colgate. So we haven't really seen them playing like the greatest teams of all time, whereas Purdue lost to Fresno State week one. They beat Virginia Tech last week. So it's kind of a question mark going into this game. Um, I like Garrett Schrader for Syracuse. I like Garrett Schrader quite a bit. I like both quarterbacks, actually, in this game. I think we're going to go with Syracuse. I think their defense is too good. I think they put up a lot. Of, again, it's a small sample size because we've only seen them play two FCS schools, basically. Western Michigan's not an FCS school. I'm aware of that. But essentially, this year, essentially. So we're going to have Syracuse covering the spread on that one. Arkansas-BYU. It's that Arkansas? We're going to pick Arkansas-BYU. had a better team last year. They got some transfers in. Got Keenan Slovis in. But we're gonna go Arkansas covering there. They're 10 and a half point favorites. It's at Arkansas. They came into BYU last year, beat them up pretty good. I'm not betting on BYU anymore or betting for BYU this year. So we're gonna go We're gonna go Arkansas. Ole Miss against Georgia Tech. I'm not a big Georgia Tech fan. Remember, they blew their lead against Louisville a couple weeks ago, week one. Or that was week zero, sorry. Week zero. at Ole Miss had their had almost blew it. Or almost blew it. Almost blew the top 25. Almost had a top 25 loss against Tulane last week when they didn't even have Michael Pratt in. Obviously game away with the dub, but still, where are they at? Where did they go? Where did, where did Ole Miss? There it is. 17 and a half is a lot of points. Haynes King at quarterback for Georgia Tech. Not great. Not great, but he's having a solid year. He is having a solid year. Both teams put up good yards offensively. Uh, Georgia Tech's not great defensively, but again, a lot of those yards came in the Louisville game. 17 and a half. Can Georgia Tech, co- I think Georgia Tech can cover, right? Georgia Tech can cover 17 and a half. Let's see what some of the experts are saying. Let's see what some of the experts are saying here. Do they want to cover 17 and a half? That's a big spread. Jeez, I'm sorry. My stomach's making all sorts of rumbling noises right now. I'm very sorry. It's, it's so unprofessional of me. I apologize for this. Uh, you know what? Do I want to pick jo- I like Ole Miss. I like Jackson Dart. I don't know what we're doing anymore. Uh, we're gonna pick Ole Miss. We're gonna pick Ole Miss at at home. We're gonna pick Ole Miss. TCU, Houston. We're gonna pick six and a half. I think TCU can win by six and a half at Houston. Well, yeah, let's pick TCU. TCU six and a half, Texas at, or Wyoming at Texas 28 and a half. I think Wyoming can cover that. I think they can, co- I'm going to pick Wyoming covering. I don't know. Again, it will probably be like a 24 point win for Texas. I'm not saying that it'll be a close game or anything, but there's really no excuse for Texas to completely lay an egg in this game. But, you know, I, th- I think, I think they could put up some decent numbers in this game. I think Wyoming can cover. Like you put a lot of energy into that game against Alabama, so maybe there's a dud following right after, at least in the realm of, hey, we're not going to be as dominant as what most people may have expected, so then people start questioning the validity of how good we are this year. Like I, I would bet, so this, the line is actually 30. It's 30, but I bet it would be like 31 to 7. That would be my score prediction, if I had to make a prediction on this. Like, covering, I'm going to go Wyoming covering there. I think I'm going to go with Wyoming covering there. And then Fresno State, Arizona State, three. Arizona State is not great, to my knowledge. I haven't seen a lot of what Arizona State's done this year. I've seen what Fresno State's done this year to to Purdue. Granted, not the greatest team in the world. I think I'm going to go Fresno State. I think I'm going to go Fresno State here. Yeah. Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're going to do? Yeah, let's pick Fresno State. Why not? Let's just pick Fresno State, just for the vibes. Just for the vibes of picking Fresno State. So there's our picks for the weekend. I'll try to remember what exactly they were, because remember, we weren't writing them down. We're just kind of going off vibes here. But the picks that we made this weekend are as follows. We are going to go with Utah State Air We'll come back to the game. We'll go Kansas State over Missouri. We've got Penn State over Illinois. we got Louisville over Indiana. We've got Georgia Southern covering against Wisconsin. we got Iowa State beating Ohio. LSU covering against Mississippi State. Duke covering against Northwestern. North Carolina covering against Minnesota. Rutgers beating Virginia Tech covering there. then we got Georgia covering against South Carolina. West Kentucky covering against Ohio State, Michigan or Washington covering against Michigan State. South Alabama no, no 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 no, we had Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State covering against South Alabama. We have Toledo beating San Jose State, Florida covering against Tennessee. James Madison covering against Troy. Who did we have West Virginia Pitt? Did I pick that game? Pitt. We went Pitt covering in that one. Syracuse beating Purdue. Arkansas beating BYU. Uh, Mississippi, Ole Miss beating Georgia Tech. That's a big spread. That's a big spread. I went against Ole Miss last week. I won't go home against the We'll go with that. Clemson, Florida. I skipped that game. I didn't, skip, I didn't mean to skip that game. Uh, we had TCU covering against Houston. We had Wyoming covering against Texas. Arizona, or Fresno State, sorry, covering against Arizona State. I missed Clemson versus Florida Atlantic. I did miss that game. What are we looking at that game? i got to see what these two teams have done this year. Well, I know what Clemson's done. I know what Clemson's done. I, don't, I haven't seen anything for Florida Atlantic. I, I apologize for that. Florida Atlantic, nothing really going for them on offense. They just lost to Ohio last week. At Clemson at night. 20, yeah, we'll go Clemson covering. We'll go Clemson covering that game. So, there are all our picks for this upcoming weekend. And to round out the show today, essentially... We will be going over our week two quarterback prospect rankings, and this will also serve as the video as well. We're gonna post this on the podcast and the video. So if you just want to hear this and nothing else, you can go to the YouTube channel and check that out on there. I don't know what we're gonna do for the editing vi- purposes of the video. If it's gonna be like we're gonna throw in videos, we're gonna throw in like like we're gonna throw in pictures and all that stuff. Or I'll just post like a still picture of the Logan Blackman Show logo, or just a picture of the quarterback every single time we talk about which quarterback it is, we'll come to that. We'll cross that bridge once we get to it, because it's getting kind of late right now. I'm tired. I think the show's gone well so far, but I am tired. I am very tired. Now, we'll go into this starting off at number 10. And coming in at number 10, we've got Spencer Rattler. And this is a cool moment for Spencer Rattler, because this is the first time this year, weirdly, where we have not had a 10A and a 10B. This is the first blog post we have made covering the 2024 NFL Draft since the season started. Where we have had exactly ten players, exactly ten, we have not had exactly ten the entire season to this point. We have had a ten A and ten B the past two weeks. We have just a ten, we have just a ten. And Spencer Rattler played well against Furman. Against Furman. Now I understand it's Furman, I understand it's Furman, but coming away with that game with no sacks is just really nice to see. He got sacked nine times against North Carolina. I understand. There's a difference in level between North Carolina and Furman. I understand that. And Furman was in the game for most of it. South Carolina started to pull away towards the end. But they were in it. They were in it for most of the game. And it was kind of like that game against Tennessee, Austin P, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But keeping it a lot closer and leading at certain portions of the game, longer than what I expected them to. But Spencer Rattler, for his individual performance, a lot of his throws, he only missed two passes on the day. He only had two incompletions on the day. Went 25-27, 345, three tighties, no picks. Also had a rushing touchdown as well. But a lot of his passes early on were a lot of short to intermediate throws. Which are important throws because those eat up a lot of ground. You don't need to go for the home run every single time. Rattler has the arm strength and arm talent to get it down the field like that, to stretch the field, which we saw numerous times throughout the course of the game. Like, before halftime, rolled out to the right. Was it? Yeah, it was right before halftime. Rolled out to the right, evaded evaded some tacklers, lobbed it down the sideline, like 53 yards down the sideline for a passing catch, got hit right after the throw, drew an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, threw a touchdown on the left side of the field, the near sideline, similar thing, got hit as he threw, threw an absolute dime, maybe got a little way with some OPI on the play, maybe got away with a little OPI, but still, they didn't call it, so didn't get away with it, <laughs> did, did call it, so it looks like we're, not get, we're getting away with it there. And then he had a pass, uh, when was this, was it in the third quarter? Were, their backs were against the end zone, lobbed it down the middle of the field, maybe got a little bit more air than what he was originally anticipating to, but with you know him getting hit a lot, and he took some hits in this game, didn't get set, but he still took some hits. I, maybe he was expecting something to come a little sooner, but he put a lot under it. The receiver had to slow down a little bit, but still a nice pitch and catch there. He did, again, score a rushing touchdown in this game, which is not something you really see Rattler doing. He's not really the most physically gifted specimen in regards to size and weight. Like, he's six foot one, maybe 215, and that's being generous. I don't know if he's even that big. So, on the rushing touchdown, the play before, a couple plays before, he tried to run it in, and he got absolutely walloped. Absolutely freaking walloped. And he got right up to fair play to him and scored the next play in a quarterback sneak, but got absolutely drilled. And Furman were talking their shit the entire time. And you love to see it. And Rattler responds back with a touchdown. And South Carolina comes away with a 47-21 win. And again, that scoreline shows a nice, what? what is that, 26-point win for South Carolina. It was close for pretty much the entire game. It was close throughout that game, but they carried it, they pulled away towards the end, and Rattler put forth another good performance. I don't know if I'm expecting to see that against Georgia. We brought up the, the, the off-the-line situation against North Carolina. How is that going to fare against Georgia? Who the hell knows? Time will tell on that one, but, you know, we'll see. Crazier things have happened, right? Remember Missouri almost beat Georgia last, or a couple years ago, or was it last year? I don't remember exactly which one. But there, there's crazy things that have happened in college football before. Why can't it happen here? Maybe he carries on doing this straight, these same performances and goes in and beats Georgia. Highly unlikely, in my opinion, but, you know, it could happen. But all in all, good performance from Rattler there. At number nine, dropping one spot from his eighth place is Joe Milton. This is a game again. That was kind of odd. Tennessee winning against Virginia – Absolutely dominated them, as expected. It's Virginia. Virginia stinks. We knew that going into the season. They were a predicted team to finish dead last in the ACC this season. Going into this game against Austin P, a team that got blasted by Southern Illinois the week before, and it wasn't like these games like we talked about. South Carolina winning forty seven to twenty one. Southern Illinois was up twenty eight nothing at halftime. So like that was a game that was an absolute dominant game for Southern Illinois for the Salukis part pretty much throughout. So to see Tennessee go into this game at home struggle early on like they didn't score a touchdown in this game until 15 seconds left in the first half and it was a joe milton quarterback, not quarterback sneak quarterback draw play tennessee did very well in the run game early on in the past game milton struggled to really catch a rhythm like he missed some throws high like, there was one play early on in the game where he did hit a receiver in the flat like for a first down but like hit him like in the hands he hit him as in regards to it was a completion <laughs> i should have reported that a little differently But he would have gotten a completion there, but he started off like one for seven or one for eight or something like that. And Austin P was up three nothing early, and then they went up six to three, and then Tennessee, you know, kind of slowed the game down and got their lead back. They ran the ball extremely well in this game, so Milton wasn't really asked to do a whole lot. He threw the ball 33 times, but there was nothing that were really like, oh my God moments that you've seen from Joe Milton. Like, everybody talks about the arm strength, which is clearly there. He's probably the strongest arm I've ever freaking seen. Claims he can throw it 100 yards, and I wouldn't really put that past him. We saw the throw last week against Virginia where it hit dude right in the face mask, pretty much. Like the George, Christian Watson play from a season ago with the Green Bay Packers-Minnesota Vikings, week one. Similar-ish situation. But in this game, we didn't really see that. I mean, we did see some, like, zip throws. Like, there was a throw, his touchdown in the goal line. It was a five-yard slant route. Zipped it in there, and he did a good job t- turning his attention from the left side of the field, zipping right it back to the right. And delivering an absolute strike to the end zone for a five-yard score against slant route, easy, but still good throw from Milton. There was another play later on where an edge rusher was coming off the edge, as you would have predicted, and pretty much unbothered. And Milton, to his credit, and this is big with with quarterbacks, is you got to stand tall in the pocket. You can't get happy feet when pressure comes in your face. You gotta know where receivers are gonna be. Stand tall and deliver the ball. And the guy comes in, Milton knows he's gonna take a hit, and he doesn't move. Like at all, and Milton's got such a crazy arm, he doesn't really need lower body to get like an absolute rocket out. So he just basically uses all upper body and torque to throw the ball sidearm around the defender to get a completion for a first down on a third and four play. And it was funny the way the cameras were lined up. I thought he overthrew the receiver, like launched it out of bounds. But no, but no, (laughs) he just, it was right to the receiver, wide open. It got to the receiver, got the first down and all that stuff. So it was a really nice play from Joe Milton. But there wasn't, again, anything, like, insane in this game for Mild. But the Tennessee lead just kept growing. The run game was really working out for him. He had a play where he tried to throw the ball to the far back pylon on the left side of the field from the right right pass, and he kind of threw it off his back foot and put it a little bit more on a line. So the ball ended up getting broken up. It was behind. I think it was Brew McCoy was the receiver for Tennessee. Threw it a little bit behind there, but... You know, he. I think that was the drive they ended up scoring on the quarterback sneak. So, I, or quarterback draw play. Again, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. But yeah, he got a second touchdown in the game. McAllen Castles. It was just in the flat, 43 yards out. I did not think dude was going to make it to the end zone, but he did. So, fair play to him. And yeah, Tennessee came over with a 30 to six, 30 to 10. Wait, what was the score? 30 to 13 win. Sorry, not the way you would have predicted it or how they would have drawn it up. But they'll take a 30 to 13 win. Going into a rivalry game against Florida at the Swamp, you're going to want to go over that game undefeated. You're going to want a performance, though, against Florida like you did against Virginia rather than you did against Austin Pete. And maybe it was the ugly-ass uniforms we saw from Tennessee in this game that really started, you know, throw people off here. Maybe that was, like, the bad omen there. Like, you have ugly uniforms, you're going to just naturally play bad. It's like that look good, play good type thing. They didn't look good, so they didn't necessarily play the best. Maybe that was the thing. Like, I thought they're... Are these upgrades on their orange uni- or their gray uniforms from, like, the past few seasons? Are these upgrades or downgrades? I don't know. I've been, it's been, I've been going back and forth with this the entire time. I can't tell if these are upgrades or downgrades. I have no idea. But Tennessee got the win. Joe Milton did drop down a spot. But that's not... That didn't matter. That didn't matter. They got the dub. I don't think he'll care too much. But Bo Nix comes in at number eight. And it's still crazy to me to say Bo Nix at anywhere in a quarterback rankings list for being a top ten guy. Like, I know he's been dominant at Oregon. He played well at Oregon last year, put up a bunch of touchdowns last year, came in as an early Heisman candidate, but it's still weird to me. It's still weird to me, and this was a little bit different game than what we saw against Portland State, which was expected. I mean, you won 81-7. to You won 81-7, to and Nick's didn't even carry the ball in that game. He literally did nothing running the ball in that game. In this game, we saw him pick up some first downs on the ground, which is what we really like seeing from Bo Nix. He utilized his legs well last season at Oregon. He's done that this done that well in this game. Picked up some big third downs in this, big third downs ones that would extend drives for Oregon that would lead to points. Passing the ball, you know, Oregon does a lot of dink and dunk plays, a lot of intermediate throws, but Nix definitely has the arm strength to hit you over top. And he hit Troy Franklin on a deep ball early on in the game. Beautifully thrown ball, beautifully thrown ball. Let him perfectly into the end zone. Basically just walked into the end zone. It was like a what was the it was a seventy something yard play, seventy two yards, seventy two yard pitching catch from Bo Nix to Troy Franklin, one of the better wide receiver quarterback tandems in college football. And then he would get a second touchdown a drive later. Like, we see Tez Johnson come in. Like, there was a few penalties that drew Oregon back. But before that, like, a few plays before that, on the second touchdown, actually, he hit Treshawn Holden, the former Alabama receiver, hit him down the far sideline. And it wasn't like a, oh, my God, what a throw Nick's just made there. But it was a nice throw in the fact that it's one of those things where you can't overthrow Or underthrow the receiver because there's a defender over top, there's a defender short, and they had separation decently between both sides of them. But if you overthrow or underthrow that ball just enough, that defender will have enough time to make up ground. But he put it right where Trayshawn Holden could get it, threw it right on him, and Trayshawn Holden caught it and had enough time to turn around, took a little shot, but got enough time to turn around, know where he was, and get decent yards. Then obviously some of the penalties happened, and then the Tez Tez Johnson touchdown happened, and again. It wasn't anything spectacular. Like they were at the 13 yard line, Tez Johnson was one yard past the line of scrimmage, and Nick's dumped it off to him for the touchdown. Like it was a fair, and Tez Johnson just did the rest. Nick's wouldn't get a touchdown the rest of the game, but hey, getting two touchdowns like that—one bomb and one short pass—that just got a lot of yak after that yards after catch for those of you who don't knew do not know what that means. But you know, solid game from Nick's, and he played against Tyler Show, guy who used to play at Oregon, a guy he kind of de facto replaced. I know he wasn't there. He didn't come there immediately after immediately after show transferred to Texas Tech, but is there now. Show still at Texas Tech. So you can count it as a, you know, a replacement type thing. And show if you just look at the yards, put up a, had a good game yardage-wise. But then you look at the turnovers, and he had three interceptions and uh two fumbles in the game. Only only lost one, but had two fumbles in the game and a pick six that ultimately sealed the game for Oregon. It was on the last drive of the game through the pick six, Oregon ended up winning the game, but yeah, good overall game from Knicks. 44 passes in this game from Bo Nix. He was asked to do a lot in this game. Again, a lot of it was intermediate, which is just what Oregon runs. They run a lot of those routes. But he'll hit you deep if he needs to. He'll hit you deep if he needs to, and he could hit you on the ground as well. Like He had a very solid game. Very solid game. On the road, and it was kind of a question mark going into this game, what game we would see. Because we saw Texas Tech losing to Wyoming the week before. We saw Oregon absolutely blasting Portland State. So it was like, what's going to happen here? Are we going to see Portland or Oregon absolutely blow out Texas Tech? Is it going to be close because it's in Lubbock? Who knows? Who knows? And now Texas Tech's 0-2 in the season, which I don't know if a lot of people would expect them to be at the start. 1-1? That's expected. 0-2 against Wyoming and Oregon is not really what people were expecting here. But good game from Knicks. Very solid game from Knicks. His Pac-12 counterpart, which, again, a guy who we would have not been expecting to see in a quarterback top 10 list. When he was at Indiana after a few ACL tears, that's Michael Penix coming in at number seven. Again, good game. 409 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Also picked up a few yards on the ground as well, and those runs were kind of interesting. He picked up a fourth down on one of them, but it was kind of funny. He hit him with a a nice little spin move, like a Braxton Miller-esque spin move. I I mean, in ways, because it was a spin move, but he looked a lot less athletic than Braxton Miller did as he tripped over his own feet, but he still picked up the first down. But for the interception, it was just not a great throw. It wasn't a great throw. I wouldn't say it was like an astronomically bad throw. It depends on what you want to view an interception as. You think an interception is just automatically the worst thing possible? Then, yeah, that's fine. Then, yeah, then it was a terrible throw. But it was more of a... I don't, I don't know if you'd even want to call it because Adunze kind of just stopped his route. I know, stopped his route is not the right word. But Penix overthrew him. Tulsa defender got in the end zone for the interception. But, again... It ended up being a blowout in the game, 43-10, to a little bit slower to start, not as slow as what we saw against Boise State, but still a relatively slow start to this game. But Knicks, or not Knicks, sorry, Penix got a lot of people involved. And Washington, famously this year, has a very good receiving trio. We got McMillan, we got Poke, we got Adunze, like, and he got everybody the ball. He got absolutely everybody the ball, and he was zipping it all over the field in this game. And he hit some deep balls in this game, but a lot of the throws that you would see were in the flat, a lot of them were in the flat. Like, he had a throw. His first touchdown pass of the game was Roma Dunze. At least I think it was his first one, right? Yes, it was. Roma Dunze motions across formation, kind of lined up behind Penix, and just completely shook the defender away from him. It was just wide open. Penix just had to dump it down to him for the for the easy, easy, easy score. He had McMillan in the flat, picked up 35 yards in the play, we get it rough in the passer call as well, which always helps. Always helps extend yards. And then Polk would score on a reverse play to get it 14-3. But then after the interception, then he'd find a Dunze again, 26 yards over the middle, fairly wide open, fairly wide open play. Get lucky a few plays later as well, hit Denzel Boston on the line for a first down. And it was kind of funny because this throw should have been picked off again. This should have been another interception for Tulsa. And Boston is literally just sitting on the ground when this ball just gracefully lands in his lap just right, falls right into his – went right through the hands of the Tulsa defender and right into the lap of Boston. And what makes it worse is that Penix would hit McMillan a few plays later, which would be another touchdown for Washington. So you're up 22-3 late in the second quarter when you could have had another interception. I don't know if that would change the whole trajectory of the game, the other interception, but it's something that Tulsa would definitely want to have back. But going from sure interception to touchdown – Is definitely not something Tulsa had on the cards in that one. (laughs) But man, then you'd get another touchdown from Penix, and then he'd he'd, you'd see him use the field a lot in this drive. Like you'd see completion of thirty yards, nineteen yards. You get some five yards, you get eleven yards, ten yards, and then you have a great throw, nineteen yard play to Poke, and then you go to Jermaine, sorry, Jeremy Bernard for a seven yard touchdown. Like this one, Bernard was just—it was just fairly easy. It was just a fairly easy touchdown, like the one we talked about earlier with the Dunesay. Most across the formation became pretty wide open in the flat. Just kind of walked in, just kind of walked in. But that started the second half. They only did pass plays. Like it was kind of funny how that all started off. Like they only did pass plays. Like it was just really funny. And then they would score on a run play. A Dunesay would come over on a reverse play. But yeah, it—it it was nice. It was nice. The yeah, Nick Penix had a very solid game. And predictably, it was against Tulsa. You kind of expect that, especially at home. But good game, back-to-back good games for him. Eight touchdowns, only one pick on the season so far. And you go into this game next week against Michigan State, like we said, should be a fairly out- fairly easy outing for Michael Penix. But, you know, time will tell. Crazier things have happened, I guess. Number six, Quinn Ewers retains a spot at six from a week ago. It's just hard to mix up these guys because we've had such good performances early on in the season. We've had very good performances here. And Ewers, last year, remember going into the season, I guess, the, all the hype around Ewers for a lot of people out there consisted around that Alabama game. And that was like the what could have been game because Texas almost beat Alabama at home last year. And Ewers got taken out of the game getting slammed on his shoulder. And it was like, Ewers is playing really well. What if we get this Ewers for that entire game? Does Alabama end up losing this game? Do we see a completely different outcome? Do we get the Texas back chant this year? And it turns out, no. Yours would have some decent performances last year, like the game against Oklahoma. We, I think they won, what was the score? 49-0 to zero or something like that. Like, we get some performances like that, but that Alabama game left people going like, man, what could have been? Now we get the chance of that again, going to Alabama. Alabama hasn't lost at home in 21 games. 21 home game win streak. Texans have not been to Alabama since 1902. It has been a long-ass time since Texas has not only been to Alabama, but beaten Alabama at Alabama. And guess what they did? They went in there and win. Quinn Ewers, three passing touchdowns in the game. Three passing touchdowns. One of the things I've liked about Ewers this year is that we've seen him run the ball more. Like It's not like anything amazing. Like He only had three carries for 11 yards, but some big carries in there. I do think he needs to learn how to slide. I do think that's something he needs to learn how to do. But still... I thought he looks good running the ball. He's lost a lot of weight this offseason, which is big as well, helping him use a little bit more of that mobility that he clearly has. I don't know how comfortable – he doesn't really look insanely comfortable running the ball, but he's effective enough more than what we saw last year, which is good to see. Very good to see. You want to always add some mobility to your offense or to your to your game as a quarterback. But, yeah, hit some deep balls in this game. Hit Xavier Worthy and Donnie Mitchell on some deep throws in this game as well. Like, he he had a very nice play. He had a very very nice play. Very nice game. And he hit Sanders for a nice little 50-yard gain. And Sanders, this is one of those things where, again, yes, was he open? Sure. Sure. But Ewers stood tall in the pocket. It's what we talked about a little bit with Joe Milton earlier. Standing tall in the pocket, expecting to take a hit, not being afraid to take the hit, and delivering a strike 50 yards down. Like, that's what you want to see. And he got him leaping in his face, and it's, again, like, that's what you want to see. A well-placed ball for the first down. That's what you want to do. As a quarterback, that's what you want. You want a guy who was willing to take the hit, a guy who was willing to stand in the pocket and deliver a strike, and that's what he did. And then you get Ewers getting a third touchdown of the game. We talked about the other two, kind of. But you get his third touchdown of the game, hitting Mitchell, 39-yard touchdown score. Like, he cooked him off the line. Cooked him off the line. And all the Ewers needed to do was just not overthrow him. That was the main thing we were looking at here, just not overthrow him, and he didn't. Showing off nice touch, nice ball placement on the play. That's what you need. And that's sealed the deal. 34-24 win. Like, that's all you really needed from Ewers in this game. Three touchdowns, 349 career game for Quinn Ewers against Alabama. Is this Alabama team as good as previous years? No. No. But still, going into that stadium at night is not an easy task, especially when you haven't been there in forever and everybody's expecting you to lose because Texas is not back to a lot of people out there. And I'm not going to sit here and say that. I definitely will not sit here and be saying that because I'm not a Texas fan. But... Good Lord, that was a fun game to watch. Very exciting. Yeah, there's some cute, confusing parts as well, like the fumble thing that happened where they advanced the ball. Where I, It was just a weird – there's some weird portions of this game. But I thought Ewers played well. I thought the consistency was there more in this game than it was against Rice, which is big, which is not really something you were expecting when you hear, oh, Quinn Ewers looked better against Alabama than he did against Rice. That's what you want because you want them to show up against the bigger opponents. But, you know, the consistency will have to grow. The consistency will continue to grow, but he looked good in this game. Looked consistent, looked good, and yeah, I'm expecting him to build on this performance. They're going on to play Wyoming this week, so we'll see if he's able to carry that performance. Again, they beat Texas Tech earlier. We'll see how that carries over. Then number five, we have J.J. McCarthy drop in one spot. There's not really a lot you can say about this game. It's, it's against UNLV. Like It's one of those weird things where he's putting up great numbers. And he's playing really good. He's throwing off, showing a lot of zip on his ball, which is exactly what you want to see. Like J.D. McCarthy's had a very good, efficient year. I believe he's second in the nation in completion percentage this year. Has five touchdowns to his name as well. Has put up a decent amount of, maybe not like an insane amount of yards rushing the ball. It's what you were kind of expecting because he's more known or has been more known. I guess we're kind of seeing the evolution of him as a passer recently. But mostly he's been known as a runner. That's what, like when Cade McNamara was there at Michigan, J.D. McCarthy was brought in to be the running option for Michigan. But they wanted to expand their offense and continue to give J.J. McCarthy more of a greater role in the offense. And as we've seen, it's been getting more and more, and he's getting more and more impressive. He's been getting very impressive. And he's made some very nice, tough throws. Like, yes, it was against UNLV. He made some tough throws in this game. Made like, There was one play in the game where Gary Danielson, because remember, Big, Ten, Big Ten's on, uh, on CBS now. Gary Danielson said that this dangerous throw dangerous throw and he threw a ball where there were three defenders in front of morris tyler morris for the for the reception further three behind him as well or further three to the left and behind him as well sorry and he fit it right in there like a dangerous throw great throw more like it like it was just a really really good throw like throwing it high enough to where the backer couldn't reach it throwing it low enough and driven to where morris wouldn't get his head taken off by the other defenders that's what you want to see. Sure, it was kind of dangerous, but if you have the arm talent, you can fit it in there. And it was a great catch. Great catch from Morris as well. And then he would hit him a few plays in a corner route, set up Blake Corum, touchdown run a few plays later. And one thing McCarthy does better than most in the country is throwing the ball on the run. That's what we talked about a little bit ago. Like when when he was early on in his career at Michigan, with Cade McNamara being there as the starter, he was brought in to run the ball. So you expect him to be at least somewhat decent when throwing the ball On the run, and that's what we've gotten from him. That's what we've gotten from him. Like he's a very good thrower when he's on the run. That's what you want to see. That's what you want to see from JJ McCarthy, a guy who's able to extend plays, not just in the run game, but be able to be an extension of the pass game by running the ball. If that makes any sense, if that makes any sense. I'm sorry, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but it makes sense in my head. (laughs) But remember the week before, like throwing on the run, he (laughs) he was like less than a centimeter behind the line of scrimmage. Because remember, every part of your body has to be past it. And maybe he was fully past the line of scrimmage, but they called it a touchdown last week, and he showed his ability on the run there. So that's, <laughs> it's just funny to see that. But uh, for him Michigan, thankfully for them, still technically behind. Technically behind. Then he would throw across the middle of the field for a first down. And normally, normally, I would be against throwing the ball back to the middle of the field because it's you know it's not a very high, <laughs> uh, what do you call it, high percentage throw. But he, since he's so effective running the football, so he's so effective running the ball, the linebacker had to keep him honest, so decided to pursue him, which left the receiver open right behind him, which allowed McCarthy to fit the ball in there, which would get Michigan the first down, which, again, is what you like to see. And, again, I'm not I'm not for that. I'm not for people normally do that, but if the receiver is open and the linebacker commits to you completely leaving the guy open, then take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. Zipping the ball between two defenders, getting A.J. Barner for a 12-yard gain, uh, show off his running ability again. Later in the game, later on this drive as well, this time without a throw, this time without a throw, pulling it from Corum, picking a nice 17-yard gain, which would lead to, again, stop me if you've heard of this before, another Blake Corham touchdown. But again, McCarthy's very effective as a runner, not very surprising there, picking up a nice gain there. And then you'd see probably his best throw of the game to Cornelius Johnson. Probably his best throw of the game on a corner route that was, like, pick him about 20 yards. So that, that's what you like. That's what you like. This impressive throw of arm show of arm strength from McCarthy. Uh, who had to throw he had to throw like a literally near perfect pass to fit into Johnson, which he did. The UNLV defenders recovering or flat drop the flat, recovering the flat. The guy that was there dropped off to go back to Johnson. He saw McCarthy's eyes, decided to drop back right as McCarthy was reaching the ball. And, and an interception with that situation happening is definitely on the cards. And thankfully, like we talked about before, the arm strength there. There's more than enough arm strength to fit in there for the first down. And though that drive would, you know, stall out, it was still a very, very effective throw. You'd find him getting an arm strength throw, or night arm strength throw. You would see him showing up the arm strength again, and Johnson over the middle for an 18-yard gain, though slightly behind. Though slightly behind. You know, it's decent ball placement to some extent because it made him, you know, avoid the defender, drew him away instead of getting his head taken off. Because that's one of the things you get taught in quarterback school is. is when you got a guy running across the middle of the field, you got to put it on his body. you got to put him on his body. Because if you lead him, it's either A going to get picked off or B, is going to get his head absolutely ripped off. So there's a good, decent play from J.J. McCarthy on that one. You'd see him hit Roman Wilson for a 13-yard touchdown. Nothing flashy. Nothing flashy. Basically just walked in the end zone after catching the ball. Then he would deliver a ball to Wilson for 47 yards. And with Wilson coming up right up the right side of the formation, McCarthy did a really nice job buying time in the pocket before stepping up to the left. Great pass to Wilson, who, again, just beat the defender for speed, took the ball to the house for six. And McCarthy would hit Johnson across the middle for a gain, nice gain, which will lead to another Michigan rushing touchdown, which will be the end of McCarthy's game against UNLV. You get pulled right after that. So, again, fairly easy game for him for J.J. McCarthy and, U- and Michigan. Again, against UNLV, this week I expect nothing different against Bowling Green. Dropped down one spot, but, again, it's nothing about how bad J.J. McCarthy's looked. J.J. McCarthy's looked freaking great to start the year and arguably you could say he's looked better than number four on this list and that's riley leonard for statistical purposes he's looked better than riley leonard he has like the game against Clemson, riley leonard did not have the best game especially in the passing game like you look at his game there like around 50 percent completion percentage no touchdowns didn't turn the ball over but no touchdowns but he did have 98 yards rushing about 40 or 50 of those were on one carry yes i understand that but you look at the magnitude of what they were doing. Yes, Clemson's not the same Clemson team that was challenging for national championships and stuff like that, but still Clemson, the aura of Clemson, you're at Duke. No offense to Duke out there, but good Lord, you should not be in any game versus Clemson. You were a 13 and a half point underdog at this game, and not only did you cover, you went in there and beat them by 21 points. Sure, Clemson had some moments that they would like to have back where they turned the ball over, but man... It was an effective game, and Riley Leonard obviously has some things to improve on in the passing game, but there's tools there. He's an insane athlete when running the ball, and he's got the arm talent to make every throw on the field, but sometimes it wanes on him. The accuracy sometimes wanes on him. Saw that in the Clemson game. Sometimes there were drops in there as well. This game against Lafayette, straightforward. 12 for 12, nothing really to write home about. Got a touchdown in the game. Only had 13 yards on the ground. Completely flipped his completion percentage, though. Like, at the end of the season, like, we're talking about a completely different game. If he had games carrying on like we did against Clemson, completion percentage-wise, people would be all over him. But now he had this nice 12-for-12 game against Lafayette. People are going to kind of forget about that now. But it was just an easy game. There's nothing really to, again, Duke, as a whole, mustered up 515 yards total offense. And Leonard just took what the defense gave him. That was pretty much all he needed to do to win this game. And they gave him everything. They literally gave him everything. Like his first and only touchdown pass game on Duke's first drive, and he had Jalen Cattle on a slant route from 16 yards out to go up 7 0. Like it was fairly easy. And before then, Duke set up a lot, ate up a lot of yards in the ground via the run, which is usually how that works. Out, usually how that works out. But Leonard did manage to hit Shamir, Samir Haggins for a nice 12 yard comeback route, which comeback routes are not easy. Comeback routes are not easy throws. Like from from the standpoint of he's wide open, yes, you hit him. That's fairly simple. It's the timing of the throw and where he's standing on the field, where he lets go of the ball. When you're throwing a comeback route, so a comeback routes 12 back to 7 usually. So you're going up the field. You cut back to the outside. You go back to the sideline. And usually this throw is coming from the opposite hash. Usually. So you have to have a good arm to make this throw. It doesn't matter how wide open you are because if you're late on the timing on that throw or you don't have the arm straight to fully make it there, that play is jumped And it's going back the other way for six. You have to have the arm for that. And Riley Leonard hit a few of those comeback routes throughout the game. But again, nice 16-yard slant route to Jalen Calhoun for the first touchdown. And it was just easy. It was just really easy. He'd get another comeback. Like, I'm just looking through the notes on this game. Like, it was just a fairly simple, simple, simple game. Simple game. He ran the ball well. Didn't run it, again, as much as what we saw last week against Clemson. Didn't have as many yards as what we saw last week as Clemson. Didn't have any rushing touchdown in this game. But, yeah. It's good. It was a good game from Leonard. Predictable game. I expect him to have a fairly easy game against Northwestern, especially at home. Northwestern's not a very good football team. So I don't expect him to have too many issues here. But a good game against an FCS school in Lafayette. So, yeah. Nothing really to write home about there. Good game for Riley Leonard and Duke. Uh, Number three, uh, we got Shadur. We got Shadur Sanders. Played against Nebraska. Which, it was kind of a weird feeling going to this game because on paper, Nebraska is not better than TCU. Like, if you were just looking at the start of the season, TCU's ranked, what we knew about TCU, from what people would on the outside would know about TCU. TCU came in the season ranked 17th. They came into a season that they just were in the national championship game. Sure, they got absolutely blown out, but they were in the national championship game. Though they did lose a lot of people, including a lot of people on the offensive side of the bowl, and they didn't really have a great pass defense prop from Josh Newton at corner. That was pretty much it. But Colorado was a tw- still a 20-point underdog in that game. And Shadur Sanders came in, threw over 500 yards, looked really good, had four passing touchdowns in this game. And you have this game against Nebraska at home, but some people out there's like, hey, Nebraska should be more solid defensively. It could present a little bit more challenges for Shadur Sanders in this game and the Colorado offense. And for portions of this game, it did. It was 0-0 for a while. like you know, Quite a while it was 0-0. And then Colorado, you know, started to finally kind of find a rhythm. was so finding a rhythm, and, yeah, ended up winning the game 36-14. Shadur Sanders, again, 31 of 42, 393, two touchdowns in the game. Also had a rushing touchdown in there as well. Did register negative 30 yards on the ground, but a lot of those were, you know, sacks and stuff like that, which I don't know if should really count in regards to, you know, rushing stats for a quarterback or just against the, off- the offense in general. Like, we saw that against South Carolina, North Carolina. Like, a lot of their yards they lost were sacks. Which I don't know if you could I, – I, I don't know. You can you can rate that however you want, but that's that's how I look at it. That's how I look at it. But Jeff Sims, again, quarterback for Nebraska, predictably threw an interception in this game. And then Colorado was set up very well in the 30-yard line. A play later, Sanders would fire fairly, fairly, fairly wide-open Xavier Weaver to put up Colorado 10-0. Again, Weaver had a fairly decent amount of space between him and the nearest defender, but still six. It's still six. Six is still six. Six equals six. A touchdown equals six, no matter how you dice it up. And the Nebraska defenders were in the area, so no matter how open he was. If Sanders doesn't throw a good ball, it could have easily been heading back the other direction for the Cornhuskers. Again, it wasn't like they were right on him, but they were in the area if it's a bad throw, if, and it had to be a pretty bad throw, but if it was... Then we might be talking about something a little bit different on that play. I'm not saying it would be housed the opposite direction, but a good solid throw from Sanders, good catch from Weaver, goes up ten nothing in the game, and yeah, that's where we kind of saw saw the end of the, the beginning of the end for the game. That's what that was what you like to see. That's what you like to see. And then you got Sanders just before halftime, put forth a very solid drive for the Buffaloes to add three before the half to so go up thirteen nothing. up nice use of hard count, getting Nebraska to jump off sides a couple times, as well as taking what the defense gave him. Rather, this is what you like to see rather than trying to go for a touchdown right before the half. Because I know that could be tempting. I know that could be very tempting for a quarterback to look down the field and say, hey, we're going to try and hit six. Like, we don't, oh, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. We've got to go to the end zone now. No, he just took what the defense gave him. The main goal of a drive before halftime is just to get points. If you can get a touchdown on a deep ball, great. But if you can't or you're not confident in it, don't force anything. Do not force the issue in that circumstance. Just get points. And that's what they did. And that's what they did. And then, like on the first drive of the second half, on a third and fifteen play, you get Sanders throwing on the run to Travis Hunter for a forty-yard play. And though the defensively the drive would you know stall out in the end, Sanders showed his offensive ability to escape pressure and throw the ball on the run. It wasn't the most like insane throw of all time. I don't know if I'd put it up there, but it's still impressive given the defenders should have had position on Hunter during the throw. And Sanders would show off his arm strength again on a deep ball down the sideline, hit a Weaver for a forty-one gain, forty-one yard gain on third down. Now. If you watch the play back, if you watch it back, you'd probably say Sanders underthrew him, which I guess you could make an argument for, which, yeah, that's correct. I guess he would say kind of underthrew him. The arm strength, in quotation marks, I'm bringing bringing the attention on that throw, is that he threw the ball pretty much with his entire upper body. Because some people just think it's all arm, which it's, it's not. It's like Ray Allen talking about a lot of your shot gets from your legs. Yes, form's important, but a lot of it comes from your legs. Throwing the football all comes from your legs. It's like throwing a punch. You wouldn't throw a punch with your legs completely straight, would you? If you want to cause damage, you get it all in your legs. Like, sure, you could probably lob the ball a little bit, but still, you all your power on the throw comes from your legs. And this throw, we didn't really get to see that from Sanders. He was getting pressured, didn't really put a lot on it in his legs, but still showed wherewithal, showed the arm strength, natural arm strength without legs, which is, again, important. And the defender came completely through untouched was untouched. And he threw the ball pretty much right after he caught the snap. Like, right after he caught the snap, defender's right there. Boom, we got to get the ball out right now. And it's not only good arm strength. We'll get to the throne in a little bit. But the awareness to see, hey, there's a defender barreling down on me. It'd probably be smart for me to get the ball out right now as quick as possible rather than try to wait or evade and then get a ball somewhere else and maybe turn the ball over or maybe make the play worse. That's not what you want to see. That's not what you want to see. Standing tall in the pocket, defender in his face, Stood tall, delivered a nice, catchable ball. That's what you want to see. 41-yard gain in the play as well. And a second touchdown would come a few plays later. Absolutely zipped it in the end zone to Weaver for six. Again, Weaver again. Nice play. Uh, rolled to his left. Sanders threw the ball. Absolute missile. It wasn't like, I, I, I don't know how you want to call it. It didn't fit it between like 18 defenders or something like that. But it was still a very hard throw from Sanders in regards to how hard he absolutely threw the football Threw the absolute piss out of the football. He had two defenders near him, and when he released the ball, and then he had another throw on the run a little bit later in the game. Showed us a very nice sip on that throw as well. Samson did a few more nice throws across the middle of the field likes to likes Xavier Weaver, which saw his throw just make over the outstretched arm of a Nebraska linebacker, which is nice. And Jimmy Horn, which helped Colorado pick up a third and 16. Let's we'll go on score a few plays later on a pass to Horn. But the main thing to talk about with the two-point conversion, so they had a two-point conversion. Had two point conversion play where Sanders rolled to the right, evaded like three or four sack attempts, with one dude getting two cracks at it actually, which is what you want. You want at least, if you miss the first one, you gotta go back for a second one. But if you miss the second one, you can't go back again. You can't go back again and deliver the ball to Hankerson in the end zone. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Hankerson couldn't bring the ball. At least that's what the refs said. So you know, couldn't give any points there. But still, Sanders gave them at least a chance to get two more points he got a nice two-point conversion attempt, though. It didn't account for anything. Still nice to see. And he would score his lone rushing touchdown of the game with under five minutes left, making it 36-7. Nebraska would score a late touchdown in a little bit. Made had to score 36-14. And yeah, Sanders playing really well. Sanders playing really, really well. Like, I thought Sanders was a very talented quarterback going into the season, but I didn't think he'd be putting up numbers like this. I didn't I thought Nebraska beating them was a chance. But the way he played against TCU, the way he's continued to play this week the way I expect him to continue against Colorado State. We'll see how that carries him on the rest of the season against the likes of Oregon and USC in a couple weeks. Very exciting. Very exciting stuff. So he comes in at number three. Drake Mays at number two. I think the top two will stay the same throughout the rest of the season unless something drastic happens, but Drake May comes in at two. Didn't really – like, okay, I I was going to say didn't really do a lot in the past game, but he didn't throw a touchdown, didn't turn the ball over. A lot of what North Carolina did in this game was run the ball. They had an insane amount of rushing yards, like against Appalachian State. Were they a 19-point favorite against, A 19.5-point favorite against? Which was insane. Like, did people not watch the Appalachian State North Carolina game last year? It's like 63 to 61. Like, there was no way North Carolina was going to this game beating them by 19 points. There was no way. I don't care if it was in Chapel Hill or not. Like, you're not going to this game winning by 19 points. Come with a 40 to 34 win in double overtime. Really cool stuff. Drake May would score the winning touchdown in double overtime, which is really what you like to see. It wasn't like a walk-off or anything, but it was still he still got the winning touchdown. You know, Appalachian State would still have, you know, one more chance <laughs> at that ball. But, yeah, North Carolina on the ground. Again, like we said, 319 yards on the ground. 319. Drake May had 57 of those yards. And on the pass game, I mean, 21 for 30, 208 yards is nothing to sniff at. It's not like anything, oh, my God, you see what Drake May did in the pass game against Appalachian State? It wasn't really one of those games, but still, solid game. Ran the ball effectively, which is what Drake May is kind of known for. I know it kind of gets lost a little bit on some people, but he can move the ball really well in the run game. He's as, as elusive, given his size, as some of the best quarterbacks in college football at that trait, which we'll get to the best one here in a little bit. But you got ones, you got some decent throws in there as well. Like You got one to Kobe Paysor for a nice 29-yard gain, though Paysor, again, was relatively open. May did a nice job at standing tall in the pocket, which is what we keep talking about. Absorbing the hit from the edge rusher and delivering a nice catchable ball to play sore for a first down. Later, show off the arm straight again, hitting J.J. Jones on a 56-yard pass play. And May threw an absolute dart on this play, putting little to no loft on the ball. Like, I'm not joking. Like, you can go watch this play back. There is, like, it's just on an arrow. It is on an absolute arrow from the moment he let go of the ball to when it was caught by J.J. Jones for the... But not a touchdown. Not a touchdown. Could have been a touchdown. Maybe should have been a touchdown. But... You know, got dragged down like the five-yard line or something like that. Hit him right in the chest. Hit him right in the chest. Like, massive gain. And he capitalize a play later with a seven-yard attempted touchdown run. Like, that's what you like to see. Pass from Jones, though, deserved to be a touchdown, and a split second looked like Jones would be able to carry it into the end zone. But more than two now, and Demeter's showed up, brought him down to keep him from scoring six at the seven-yard line. May would zip it again on a th- second and 16 play later in the fourth. hitting Jones again on a dig route to pick up first down with three defenders somewhat in the area. May had to put the ball, put a lot of sauce on this throw, delivered right to Jones' body in order to avoid the turnover. Really nice play from May, bouncing back from the sack. And again, this is what we talked about before, where you have a play over the middle of the field, especially on a dig route. You cannot lead the receiver too much. You can't underthrow him, throw it behind him too much. You've got to put it right on his body. And it's not like the most flashy throw, and people watching there are like, ah, he just, that's not the, the, the most amazing throw. But in the technical sense, yes, it is a very nice throw. It's a very nice throw from May. Picked up a nice gain as well, especially, again, bouncing back from a sack. That is what you like to see. And you see May try, get, getting some run plays in there as well, bringing a couple arm tackles, getting a nice 12-yard gain, first down, and then the drive, you know, that drive with the 12-yard gain would ultimately stall out. But that's what you like to see from May. Ryan Co. Missed a straight-on field goal pretty much from 39 yards out. That was what would lead us to go into overtime. And then uh, May, again, like we said before, would ice the game with a nice touchdown run of his own to come away with a 40-34 victory at home against Appalachian State. Yeah, solid game. Nothing, like, flashy for May, especially in the passing game, but a nice, efficient game. Had some great throws in there. Nothing crazy, but, you know, we'll take it going into the next week against Minnesota. Tyler Newman will be a big test for him. I'm very intrigued to see how he goes against Tyler Newman, who's got two interceptions to his name already. One of the better safeties in all of college football. We'll see how that battle goes. But number one, we got Caleb Williams, who's on a bye this week, so we don't get to see any more Caleb Williams this week. But you know, I think we've seen a lot from him to this point to where we go. Yeah, you know what? He might, he might be the best player in college football still. He might still be the best player in college football. I understand his first two games were at San Jose State and Nevada. But this one against a conference team at Stanford, dude's still barely playing. Dude's still barely trying. Like, you know that LeBron James thing. I'm like, that's too easy. That's too easy. That's what Caleb Williams is pretty much doing against a Pac-12 team. I understand Stanford's pretty bad, but still, still, like, he's – And USC, like we talked about a little bit with Oregon, where there's a lot of dink throws. USC will run a lot of RPOs, where they'll have the running back – Caleb Williams pull the ball from the running back at the DN crashes, and he'll dump it off to the flat route, which will pick up a lot of yards. We'll see those in the game. But we also see Caleb Williams making some ridiculous throws there as well. Like Caleb Williams, we'll talk about other thought, but I hold your horse a little bit. We'll go to the throws here in a little bit. I want to start off with the run because that was the first drive of the game. First drive of the game, Caleb Williams gets a 21-yard touchdown run. One carry, one 20-yard, one-yard gain, one touchdown. Efficiency. <laughs> like it was kind of funny. He held the ball on this carry like freaking LaShawn McCoy. That's what he was carrying the ball like. Like, he pulled the ball, and it was a good read. It was a good read from Williams, but the center pushed the read key right into Williams. So it made it like, when he initially pulled it, the read was crashing. That's what you want to see. If the D-end goes up the field, you give it. If the D-end crashes, you pull it and get however many yards you can. The D-end was crashing. Center was pulling and pushed him into Caleb Williams. But Williams, great athlete that he is, was able to hold the ball in his outside hand, his right hand, and just hold it out before squirting to the outside, getting some more yards, and then running through a defender to get in the end zone. Didn't step out of bounds either, so it's nice awareness shown off by him, knowing where the out-of-bounds marker is, and still knowing where it was, a lot of defenders over in that area, and running through the freaking soul of the Stanford defender right after that. But uh, then you're telling me we're going to continue the run game real quick. It's not ne- It wasn't a run play from Williams, but it's something I thought was worth noticing because it was kind of funny. But Caleb Williams had a nice little dump-off to Taj Washington, Picked up 11 yards on the play. The passing catch wasn't, like, anything amazing at all. But it was just funny to see Caleb Lynch was beelining it past Taj Washington for the first down. Like, he sprinted right past him. He was looking for blocks, and as a quarterback usually does when they run down the field, to block for a receiver. Got absolutely nobody, but he got in the way of a few people. He got in with from a few people, which is nice, <laughs> because that kind of helped uh, avoid the tackle a little bit sooner, or a little bit, a bit had the tackle go a little bit later, than what we initially thought it would. But it was still funny to see him just sprint all the way down the field to get in front of Washington trying try to at least somewhat block for him. And then, you know, a few plays later, Williams would get his first touchdown pass of the game. Throwing off, his, showing off again, the athleticism that we're talking about already. being able to come on, coming defenders. on coming defenders, sorry. We're delivering an absolute strike to the back of the end zone on the run to Dorian Singer for a 19-yard touchdown. The O-line did a really good job at creating a pocket but it was the ability to roll out to the right and deliver a damn near perfect ball that was on the run was the real highlight it was him throwing it on the run the dart was beautiful like it was right to him there was a Stanford defender right on Singer's back so if that throws behind him we might be looking at this play a little bit differently maybe he only breaks it up but still interception was a possibility there it was an absolute dart to sing her well on the run, which is what you, you know, Caleb Williams is known for throwing the ball on the run, showing off his athleticism. That's what you want to see. And I know some people might get a little nervous of him getting all hoppy in the backfield. If it works, it works. That's all I'm gonna say. If it if it's working for him now, I understand it's against Stanford, who's not again, not very good. But if it works, it works. And he looked good on that play, threw an absolute dart into the end zone for the score. And again, flick your <laughs> flick your fingers. And USC is just up insanely. They're up 35-nothing. Then on the next drive, basically one play, one play later from the last play, I guess, Williams would hit Brennan Rice on a 75-yard bomb, him from the USC 15-yard line all the way to the opposite 20. Like, the showcase of arm strength on that play was just ridiculous. The absolute effortlessness of the throw was absolutely insane. Rice may have had to slow down slightly, on the play, but it's still a beautiful throw from Williams, which further extended USC's lead. And he still have a nice touch on that drive, as, on the next drive as well, hitting Singer for a nice little back shoulder-esque throw and for a first down. Though there was some slight push-off from Singer, he could have gotten away from OPI like we talked about a little bit earlier. Williams threw a very good ball the, as there was a safety over top as well, as well as the corner had position further the field. If Williams put that ball pretty much anywhere else, it's probably getting picked off. And Williams would put some more zip on the ball a few plays later. After pulling the ball from the running back, Williams would get the ball out quick to Kieran Hudson for a 14-yard completion with two Stanford defenders coming off the left side. Williams had to get the ball up quick after the pull, which he did, is what you like to see, setting up a one-yard touchdown pass to the tight end, Luke McCree, a play later. On a play USC eats on, that's what we're talking about. The, you know, Williams would pull the ball from the back, dump it off to McCree for the score. That's what we just talked about a little bit ago. That play where they the read comes in, Pulls it from the back, the checkdown's right there. It works damn near every time for USC. It is an insane play for them that's super efficient. And Caleb Williams runs it like a freaking treat, gets the one yard score, and then you guess what? Caleb Williams' day or his bye week got a little extension because he didn't play after that. That touchdown was it. That touchdown was it. It was 49 to 3 before half. 49 to 3 before half. The score ended up being 56 to 10. Like, it was just an easy, easy game for Caleb Williams and USC. And going into the bye week, great week of rest. Great week for. I guess I haven't even seen where they play the next week. They don't play Colorado because Colorado plays Oregon next week. So we, who does USC have next? Arizona State. Okay. Does he really need that much rest to play Arizona State? I'm not sure. It is on the road against Arizona State, so maybe the Sun Devils are ready to upset the USC Trojans. Who the hell knows? All I know is Williams right now it would take a lot for me to change my mind on this, but he's still the best player in the, con- the in the draft. He's still the number one quarterback and all that stuff. There's been some great performances to start of the season. It's going to be a really nice year to draft a quarterback if you need one. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good players here. We got some we got some honorable mentions in here as well. Like uh, we got Jayden Daniels. We'll throw him a mention. Five touchdown passes in a 72 to 10 victory over Grambling on Saturday. Austin Reed from Western Kentucky. Uh, 253 yards passing, four touchdowns with another one on the ground as well against Houston Christian. Then he got Jordan Travis. Uh didn't have the greatest game against Southern Miss like we were expecting. Had a good game against Florida State Week One. Kind of took down a little bit, but still had two touchdowns in the game. 21 yards, 20 yards on the ground as well. Tyler Van Dyke, welcome him back to the top ten or top fifteen. I guess we liked him a lot last year until you know we didn't. <laughs> he had a nice game last week against Texas A&M. Five touchdowns. In the game, 374 yards passing, and yeah, six touchdowns on the season. They were playing tonight against Bethune-Cookman. Let's see what Tyler Van Dyke did in this game, So it's got to be over at this point, right? It's got to be over. 48-7 final, Tyler Van Dyke, 247 yards, two touchdowns in the game. We'll have to watch the tape back and see if he did enough to get put back in the top twenty, the top 10. Sorry. Also had a game, uh, touchdown on the ground as well, 16 yards there. So you know we like to see that. And we have Cameron Ward as well. Put up a good performance week one. Put a nice performance week two against Wisconsin at home. Love to see it. two twelve. not the most insane amount of yards. Two touchdowns there, but did lead the team in rushing with 43 yards there as well. Has 6-63 yards passing with five total touchdowns in the season with 80 yards in the ground. Very, very close to being in the top ten. And then Michael Pratt from Tulane obviously did not play against Ole Miss this last week. He had a very good game week one, went 14-15. But against Ole Miss, he did not play, so he was not mentioned in the top 10 or top 15 in the honorable mention section either this week. But there's our top 10 as a recap. We have Spencer Rattler coming in at number 10. Number nine is Joe Milton. We've got Bo Nix at eight, Michael Pennick seven, Quinn Ewers at six. We have J.D. McCarthy five, Riley Leonard four, Shadur Sanders at three, Drake May two, and of course Caleb Williams, number one. You can check out, uh, I keep saying mantra. Every time I talk about this, I think of mantra. You can check out our week one, Quarterback prospect rankings down in the link below, or go to Logan blackman show.com under the blog section, and you can also check out our week two rankings there as well. Follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. Again, look up the Logan Blackman Show to get all your show needs. And uh, yeah, I think that's how we'll see it, and that's how we'll leave it there. Hope you enjoyed. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. We'll probably be better next time. And I will see you all later. Peace.